Why, is right. it, okay, so are we back in the same feed? Uh, no, this is a new... This is all new? Yeah. Can films, two Brian De Palma pictures and two Martin Scorsese pictures, and we felt like we hadn't done a podcast in a couple months, and it's you know mid autumn or it was, and we're like, why not do a, uh, you know, a perfect you know um, seasonal uh, episode, and do you know a crime wave series from the sixties, seventies, and fifties and eighties? Why not do like you know sort of. Uh, a send up of all of those um, classic films. And we, we kind of wanted to just run, run a train through all, all these movies. And we just sort of like, didn't have an excuse. And we figured like, well, films, the downfall of someone is, is in, in these crime films. So may as well um, tie that to the fall. That's the, and that's the only through line we really have. Yeah. They're so, all, they're all sort of tragedies and they're all downfall. It's also like autumn. It's depressing. You yeah. Know, it's exactly. like leaves <laughs> fading in the gray. You know, it's like, yeah. Uh, so the, the brown and yellow leaves of fall, just like the characters in these movies, brown and yellow people that fall. <laughs> well, they well mostly white, but sometimes brown. I don't yellow. know. Scarface and Carlito. Scarface, Carlito's way. Definitely. We're, we're brown. supposed to consider them both. Like, you know, Puerto Rican or Colombian. Or and whatever. the French connection, I mean, is French yellow? I always think it's yellow. Whatever. Maybe it isn't. Well, anyway, so starting out, obviously, um, we're going we're gonna to date ourselves here because the French connection goes back as far as 1971. It's over 50 years old. Dang. And it was, it's probably this, and the first one being The Exorcist from 73. But The Exorcist is not really a film that we can talk about in the scope of this uh, episode. However, um, if you, can, you get a chance to watch it um, in theaters as a, like a re-release, do so. Because it's an incredible cinematic experience. Very unique. Um, but yeah, we're not going to talk about it. Um, I did see the third one recently. Because um, I've heard it has some cult value. And it was a really interesting film. But I don't think it has many of the same uh, production crew associated with it. It's a little weird yeah um which is a true classic anyway french connection is his second most famous film and after way down the list you also have to live and die in la 1985 which we will also talk about i think that's probably his second best criminal crime film although he has made more than a few he made one in 2011 called killer joe he made one um, in 1978 called The Brinks Job. And he also made a controversial one called Cruising in 1980 starring Al Pacino, which has been actually well regarded by by critical, uh, by critics. But I don't think uh, we only can do two films per director, so we're going to do right now The French Connection and then To Live and Die in L.A. Hmm. French Connection um, is a, it stars Gene Hackman, who, by the way, is super old now and is retired from filmmaking. Uh, he's been seen eating hamburgers outside Wendy's in like Arizona, <laughs> and that's about it. He wrote a few novels. He wrote a history book. I think he's into the Civil War, so he's pretty erudite for a senile actor. Um, <laughs> Man, imagine if we were interviewing him and like <laughs> you were saying all this. <laughs> That'd be pretty. Funny. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Hopefully, he'd see, see the, the the glib charm in it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so. 
the French Connection. Uh, this is a funny movie because it's it's so dated. It's over fifty years old, and it's it's really funny because it's got some sort of slow, not up to the minute pacing, but it, it the the character is like this goon kind of uh, detective, and he goes around looking for like narcotics, and he goes and I think the opening scene he just goes into like a dive bar in like the black neighborhood of New York that that they're focused in on, and he just. He just like basically raids everyone's pockets and holds up the entire bar and everyone in the bar who's black has drugs. And it's like super racist, but it's like it's so overblown. that It's kind of funny. <laughs> and then he also like, you know, goes into some like alleyway and arrests like some, you know, Afro man with an Afro. And that guy's kind of talking in this jive voice. And it's like it's like a caricature. But it's I think it's sort of pitch perfect for the seven. And then later on, he finds out that the, cr the criminals aren't the black people, which is good. And the criminals are the real criminals are the are these sort of French mafia international uh, bosses that he has to deal with. And so the rest of the film is him tracking down um, like a, a handful of, of of associates who are French, and they um, are very much uh, kind of you know uh, playing cat and mouse with him, and they're sort of. He's just like he's kind of like a, a diehard Bruce Willis, John McClane type. Like he doesn't really have like a lot of experience dealing with international criminals, but he's just got this iron resolve that allows him to sort of take down the bad guy. And that's what makes this film such a legendary film because it's like a western, and but it's it's like a noir, but it's both. It's got this sort of, um, it's 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 kind of like the first you know hard boiled action film. Damn, sounds really good. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a very it's a great classic film. I can't recommend it to just everyone. I wouldn't throw everyone into it because it is a slow paced film, yeah. and you have to appreciate New York in that era. I think it's just as, as a starting point. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just kind of conjecturing here, but I'd guess it sounds a little less accessible. I mean, I feel like '70s films are kind of less accessible sometimes. Oh. Will you cut out? I can't hear you. Oh, I, I was just going to say, um, I would imagine it's a little less accessible than uh, movies made closer to our time. Uh, it's definitely less accessible. In fact, they made a second one uh, years later that was um, – because it, the, the film ends in like a cliffhanger. Jeez. And so they made a second one that resumes right where the cliffhanger was. Hmm. But it's like kind of out of – it's like not done super professionally. Yeah, and so it's just sort of it's like an awkward sec. It's a good, it's a good, it's a fun movie, but it's don't get me wrong, but it's a an awkward continuation of the first one. Yeah, and uh, the as a series, it's and William Friedkin, I believe, did the second one too. Um, what year was that? That was in uh, no, I guess he didn't. I guess he uh, someone else did it. So it was a whole different production, um, tied to it. And I don't, I can't even remember honestly if Gene Hackman's in the second one. Hmm. Um, he might be. Yeah, it's weird when they do that sometimes, make a sequel and they don't even keep the first actor. I mean, the most egregious example of that, this is kind of going off topic, but uh, was the sequel to Silence of the Lambs where they didn't even, they just swapped out Clarissa. And it works, but it's like just odd. Oh, yeah. I know you, I, I have to see that one. The one I saw recently the, the, the for my end is The Manhunter, which was like, the first Hannibal Lecter movie that yeah. was in the eighties. 
And Brian Cox plays Hannibal Lecter in like in the prison cell. Okay. And it's really bizarre. His acting is like kind of similar to Hopkins, but it's obviously like a little less uh, sophisticated because it was like no one, there was no precedent for it. And um, but his version is almost better. Like it's almost more believable. I would say it is more believable, actually. And um, Manhunter is really good movie, like really good. I actually prefer it to Silence of the Lambs because Silence of the Lambs is like topsy turvy. You go all over the map. You kind of like it's like there's every every magic school bu- magic school bus kind of location. Like you're in you know the, the lab of the entomologist. Then you're in the FBI training facility. <laughs> then you're in like you know a mental health facility up in New York State. Then you're talking to like the senator in you know in a press conference. It's like all over the fucking map of, of the East coast. And it's a little aggressive. Like, I just, I don't really think that that kind of story is that, um, all encompassing. Yeah. Not that. But Manhunter is, Manhunter is the opposite. It's super localized to wherever the detective is. Hmm. And, um, I just felt like it was, it was a proper neo-noir, but a very good one. Yeah. Whereas, whereas obviously, uh, Thomas Harris, it's still a Thomas Harris novel, but the film done by, um, What's that guy, that, that director's name? Uh, he, he's done so many things. Um, Stephen King again? or something? No, the, the director did Silence of the Lambs. Let me look it up. Uh, Jonathan Demme. Jonathan Demme. The Jonathan Demme version of Silence of the Lambs is is a little too, like, uh, um, ambient for me. It's it, it kind of go like 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 I was sent, just saying it was it, you just kind of you kind of scroll through different scenes a lot and then eventually you find the ending. It, it feels a little too focused in on like the environment of of of, of the story. It, I, you know, even like the the thing, the Silence of the Lambs, like the dream she has yeah. is a location. It's a barn that you're you're meant to imagine when when they, when she tells the story. So like it's a every every possible. Um, attempt at making you imagine a different location is sort of like you know actuated in in your head when you watch that movie and it's it's just too obsessed with different spaces <laughs> it's spatially a... like kind of just all over the place and that's it, it it's kind of overblown for me i like it but i think it's a little overblown in terms of all the locations it has to make you explore in your head and hmm. on screen and whatever hmm. um that's uh, interesting criticism but all right, so the French Connection. French Connection, yeah. So the French Connection is not like that. The French Connection is, is very drab in terms of locations you go to. It's a proper noir, anti-noir, neo-noir, whatever. It's 1971. The, the lines are blurred in terms of genre, subgenres, right? But it's still um, a bona fide crime flick. And there are some films that I think are a little bit more interesting, like The Friends of Eddie uh, the friends of Eddie. First, the, uh, the friends of Eddie Coyle. Hmm. Um, and that was directed by someone who's not as famous, to my knowledge, Peter Yates. Hmm. Sorry, that was 1973. Jeez, I, my ear was off. Okay. Um, so anyway, French Connection precedes the friends of Eddie Coyle, so it's irrelevant. So I guess French Connection is a better film then. Um, but still, the friends of Eddie Coyle is quite good. Uh, there's also a movie called Joe. It also stars Peter Boyle. Um, and I think that was in the 60s. 
1971. Jeez. Same year as French Connection. Okay, whatever. What about the last house on the left? Um, 1972. That was Wes Craven, one of his first films. Anyway, so back to the French Connection. Yeah, I, um, for William Friedkin, this is an excellent early film. Um, he, it's a dignified, sort of boring film. And then later on, he does, in this movie you've actually seen, which is To Live and Die in L.A., which was, uh, what, 1985? Let's see. I just had it up here. Yeah, it's 85. And um, this is a, like a year or so. When was Scarface made? 1984? Uh, 83. 83. And so Scarface was before To Live and Die in L.A., but I think they're kind of similar. Like, I think To Live and Die in L.A. has kind of – it's almost like the Carlitos way of the West Coast. It's just – um, really kinetic, really the scenes, it, it, scenically it doesn't stay in the same um, vista for too long. It kind of, move, it's kind of like, you know, tra- uh, you know, um, you know, driving down the track pretty quickly. And uh, the, just the pacing is really good. The actual, like, you know, significance of the film is a little whatever. You know, the characters don't seem that, like, powerful or consequential in their own world. It's kind of an underbelly, gritty film, yeah. but I felt like it was a significant, you know, uh, uh, departure from the kinds of movies that like you get with like the French Connection or you get with uh, the Friends of Eddie Coyle. You know, it's it's the next generation of crime film. Yeah, um, I mean, if I remember- it reminded me a little, a little, a little bit of Black Rain, which is a a, a very good. Uh, Ridley Scott film from the late 80s, but it was just a lot better than Black Rain. I think To Live and Die in L.A., despite its sort of cheesy name um, and fast and loose style, is actually a very good movie. Like, it's yeah. underrated. Well, I mean, I, I I just think in general, a lot of 80s movies that were sort of pop culture, like sort of low genre stuff, like this action thriller or whatever, there, there's really a lot of craftsmanship put into them that people don't... And not just craftsmanship, but genuine like inspiration. Like, the whole... The whole idea of a counterfeiter in L.A. is very, like, that just seems very apt and fitting. And Keep in, keep in mind, like, at the time, Top Gun was, like, the number. It wasn't Top Gun. It was something kind of, like, easily recognizable like that, yeah. where it was, like, a really, uh, like, really over, over the top, um, massive production. Yeah. And To Live and Die in L.A. was, like, this number two at the box office, if I'm, if I'm, my man. Yeah. It wouldn't be the number one film in its own season, but it's still like it's it's like you know it's the second, it's second to like you know something that's legendary. So it has to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, if but if I remember correctly, like the protagonist just like sort of dies like bluntly, like uh, sort of near the second half of the movie, right? Yeah, he dies. It's not the second half. It's probably two thirds of the way in or yeah, more. Yeah, three quarters even. Yeah. Um, I think I honestly might be four fifths. Like it might have been pretty late in the movie when he dies. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of Depa- the Departed. Actually, I think it's the only movie that's kind of like that. It yeah. probably has. I think the Departed probably took from To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's really striking to me that William Friedkin could have the range to make a a really kind of stodgy film like The French Connection, 
hmm. and then kind of revamp his entire style and make something so fast and loose like to live and die in la hmm. super impressive because those are those films are are very different in terms of their pacing yeah. and yet and yet somehow they are have have a, a very similar th- through line because the main character is a hothead he's always charging around trying to boss people around um there is a through line there and i think to live and die in la the main character was kind of not super famous but he 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 played the role really well which is cool you don't see that all the time anymore and you didn't you don't really see all that t- all the much any at any time right usually you get the a-list stars i think the, the main character wasn't super famous or and so um willem dafoe is the bad guy and willem dafoe you know he's famous actor but he's not famous for really being like a crime boss you know and he did that he p- portrayed that very well hmm. um and he you know he did dabbled in that kind of role more so in the 80s yeah but like like in um yeah but i, I think in that particular film he, he he really kind of was an exemplar which is i didn't expect hmm. going into it also uh the scenes in la are really good like the rugged sort of industrial side of la and the highways that they're driving doing the car chase scenes yeah in on it's like they're just shot very like conscientiously i'm not going to say the cinematography was like you know orgasmically cool or something but it was just like the the the, the, the visual storytelling was really effective yeah. and for how fast paced uh the characters were moving you and you and you kind of felt like there was this interesting connection between the like the the romantic interest who worked at the strip club yeah. and the detective and and they, these guys were what they were they're not really the police right they have their they're like agents for the um they're, they're these detectives right? they, they're not really for the police they're where they were they're, they're the uh, secret service oh, they're, yeah. they're they're anti-counterfeiting so that whole element i think helps like if it were about lapd it'd probably be more drab and slow paced but these guys kind of had more pull more resources they could kind of look a certain way they could style themselves role right they had to be like in the world more than a, an lapd detective so that's why there's there's sort of like this miami vice glamour going on and the uh the strip club girlfriend like desk the front desk i mean she was like the cashier you know yeah uh she uh she was you know she had they had a really interesting dynamic where she was like she was kind of being bossed around by this cop you know, which is like you don't see that a lot in films where the cop is kind of the the brassier one. Usually, the cop is like, you know, wants is like a wannabe lawyer type who's like always kind of like a, a straight laced. But this guy was like, you know, off off the rails. And eventually, he kind of trains his like his original partner dies at the beginning, and then his new partner, um, in in you know is kind of learns how to be like him and, and, and act like him, wear the same clothes, have the same posturing. And by the end of the film, he's sort of like has an apprentice that became the master. And it's like, it's like, and it happens very quickly and it's, an, it's just, and it's done effectively. Um, I'm not saying that that was like the most essential part of the film, but it, it is a part, it is, it is a token of how, um, how, how strong these characters have to be in order for them to change up so quickly and you within the blink of an eye really and you're just kind of like left like wow like you know when he kind of went from zero to hero um or and then that you know and then when, when a guy gets his head blown off in the in the locker room yeah it's like you're like what's going to happen now 
because the scene before his partner seemed like an idiot like he seemed like a, just a doofus a coward didn't yeah. really want to be in the secret service you 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 don't even have to watch him physically you know go through a, a montage where he becomes stronger it just sort of happens he just oh, like oh in the, within a few scenes he's already like this tough guy yeah um he's already toughened up you know and it's in, within a few scenes and you're like wow like I guess this movie is is like so fast paced that the character development can work at a faster level and it, and it and it's still effective for the film and you feel like you're watching a whole different kind of movie because they're not relying on the same tropes you know that you that they're like like the uh, if you, if they made that movie now that guy wouldn't have been all souped up in a matter of scenes it would have taken like a whole thirty minutes for him to have like a developmental neurosis. You know you get like ringed out of him like you know he just it, they don't the pacing in in that in in that 1985 film was like it, it you can't get away with it now you know unless maybe unless it's maybe like a black exploitation film of some kind where it's like that character that neurotic character development isn't what the crowd wants anyway yeah so um, I don't know. I just think that the film like it has a really unique pacing, and it, it felt like an experimental picture. It and, and that's why I'm impressed by it. I think there are some you know loose ends. It's not like aesthetically the most appealing film, but a lot of these '80s films never never really tried to be that aesthetically pleasing. Hmm. Um, and when they were, it was kind of like almost too nice. You know, it was like too slow. Like you know, so the, the early, one of the earliest Coen Brothers films, Blood Simple very aesthetically pleasing 1984 release hmm. but like it's a little too much it's like a little too like neo-noir and and, and slow paced and sort of um fetishistic i think when when a film goes really fast it, it tells you that you know the, the 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 screenwriter and the director and whoever the dp the editor they respect your attention span they know that you're not going to like want to linger too much yeah i mean as long as it's not a like obnoxiously fast, you know, you don't want to feel like an idiot, but, um, yeah, I know what you mean. When, when, well, so was it, well, and the other thing is, is it's a low tech film. So yeah. the, um, like, like, it's not like mission impossible where he's always on his cell phone, like the Tom, you know, Tom Cruise is on his cell phone for, for all the movies all the yeah. time. You know, he's <laughs> dialing different numbers. You're literally watching him dial stuff down. It's not like some high tech extravaganza. That's like excruciatingly, um insulting because in those films you do feel like you're kind of stupid like oh i'm watching i'm watching this guy do stuff with technology that i would never do and it's going really fast and i don't even remember what happened because there's <laughs> now it's another explosion scene right but in this film the action is all kind of based on like characters like it's like the, which sounds a little stupid but what i mean to say is like the characters kind of reveal who they really are and they do so in a way that is uh, surprising enough that you don't need all the technology to fill in the cracks. Like you can kind of just have the characters show up and then kind of morph in front of you. And then all of a sudden there's a shootout and there's actual personalities involved and actual social dynamics involved rather than it just being like, you know, a logistics sort of um, culmination. Yeah. Based on various weapon stacks. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not like I don't it's not like, oh, I have a helicopter. Oh, no, I have an ICBM. Oh, no, I have, you know, a nuke yeah. that's underwater. Like that's what like a lot of these new movies are. It's like these impossible far fetched scenarios. It's like yeah. a video game. 
But yeah. a movie like that, a movie like to kill to live and die in LA, it's largely based on personalities. Yeah, yeah there's some different cars and different guns and you know different access points for different levels of authority figure or whatever like you know the police have certain certain you know you know yards that they can operate in but that's like so marginal you know and like overall like you know the the criminal bosses have their their lair and you know that's that's their own they have their own turf but like beyond that beyond those different points of entry they they're still kind of on the level playing field yeah it's just about the characters and just the encounters between them more than yeah, it's about how 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 much resolve the lead character has, how tough the villain is, yeah, how how charming you know the deuteragonist friend is, yeah. like who can like you know grease the wheel, like these kinds of like real personality qualities that um, are important in real life, like these are actual actual real life um, like essential skills, mm-hmm. whereas in the 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 newer films where it's just all like you know, running up, running and running upside down in circles and like using different kinds of gadgetry. That's not something that people in real life are going to do besides maybe in the context of their smartphone app, you know, yeah, the apps on their phone. Sure. But beyond that, no one has all these drones and things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's the difference between spectacle and character, you know, like spectacle is part of entertainment, but it's, it's kind of low down the list and I don't think it ages that well. Like, the car chase or whatever was pretty cool, but I sort of don't care about it. Whereas I imagine at the time, everyone was like, whoa, look at that car chase. Yeah, you get too spectacular. I mean, even the Michael Bay Transformers film was, has the subtlety to, like, give all the robots personalities that are, like, accentuated with dialogue. Yeah. You know, the Transformers. Like, that. that's, like, sort of, like, the upper limit for my tolerance for that kind of thing. Like, yeah. whereas once you, once you just have like, you know, Black Hawk helicopters, Apache helicopters, you know, uh, you know, contest really. Yeah. It's a pissing contest. Yeah. A dick measuring contest. And, and it's really like, I just, I don't even, I don't even know why I, I'm not just watching like, you know, a history channel documentary at that point where I, where I can learn about the, the same contraptions and I can learn about them, you know, in a more informed um, well, it's more exchange. educational, yeah. You, you'd get more, more educational. I mean, yeah. I mean, more educational experience. Whereas in these movies, it literally feels like I'm like they're treating me like I'm the lowest common denominator, and heck, I probably am. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, um, so to live and die in L.A. It's a really good exemplar of that kind of gritty '80s crime wave genre. Mm-hmm. Now, Scarface is not just an exemplar scarface is a classic yeah um it's it's a it is it is like a bucket list film you just saw this for the first time what i want you to go off on it what do you think yeah well uh i just thought it was like amazing you know i thought it was great you know it's um these movies are always sort of unexpected uh any classic sort of surprises you relative to whatever passes into uh Whatever becomes iconic is usually something that's really only like a fragment of it. Like, say hello to my little friend is like, that's like a tiny piece of the puzzle. Or, you know, him lounging in front of a mountain of cocaine. It's really like the least interesting part of it that passes into history or whatever. But, um. Well, it what when, when people first saw it, it, that was probably the, what caught their eye. Yeah. You know, or like caught their ear is like, oh, yeah, like it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a big movie and then he says this weird thing say hello to my little friend and he says it's so cool 
So like, but now that we've you've heard it so many, oh, you've heard it. Yeah, you've heard it so much that it's like saturated. Less, yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I like um. I think it's sort of rare to have a movie with a main character who's like so just intensely ambitious and you almost sort of believe it and he actually kind of ends up there. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I think also there was this very strange like undercurrent of incest to it as well, which I thought was... Oh, really that was really... Yeah, that was really... Um, unexpected. It was supposed to like confuse you while because you're like... The whole time you're kind of rooting for Tony Montana, right? Like your whole time, the whole movie, you're kind of rooting for him. Yeah. But then once you get that undercurrent of incest, as you said, like that sort of tainted love or whatever, yeah. you kind of feel like, oh, maybe this this is more is this is about as fucked up as as it seems. Like maybe <laughs> he's not really, you know, uh, an anti-hero. He's more just like a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, but it, to be fair, it was kind of initiated by his sister. It wasn't really uh, how or that what, that topic. I mean, the topic was broached by her. It yeah, wasn't really. But, but, yeah, I mean, he was kind of leading in, leaning into it. Wasn't but the it? point is that he was so. I mean, he was so protective of her that he killed his best friend just for being with her. You know, he should have. He should have supported his best friend. But it, it it flows directly from his ambition, his just refusal to let his. Kind well, of what it was, him. I mean, I don't see it as incestuous. I think that was sort of what confused uh gina about the whole thing yeah um was that it seemed like that and there maybe there was there like somewhat well it's mainly that he just wants the world but mainly know? yeah mainly i think he he he, he is so obsessed with power yeah. that anything that kind of would thwart him a little would just send him off because yeah. you know he's he was just so coked up too yeah, no, I, I, I agree, kind of. I mean, the, the greater theme is that he wants the world and everything in it. He has that big, like, what does he have, a big globe of the world or something? The world is yours? The world is yours, yeah, the big, yeah, the globe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, so, so yeah. It's, does, it's, does that, did he have that in his backyard? Uh, No, I, I think, like, in the main, it, it, this is what it was. He had a little statue of a world... Where, and it said the world is yours. And he had that, I think, in his like antechamber that he ends up falling into. Yeah, yeah, the, like it's in the fountain or something. Yeah, and you know, this honestly, this movie is like a Greek tragedy, really. It's got the sort of incest. Oh, it's which is so actually, good. It's, you know, yeah, it's like it's like Ajax. You, you ever seen Ajax? No, I the, haven't. The play? Well, there's different versions on it, but by and large, it's a soldier that's like the best soldier. Yeah. But he just he's like so obsessed with being the best possible soldier that he just he commits like this drunken, you know. Like, he kills a bunch of his own troops out of just like bloodlust. Yeah, because he gets, he gets, he gets, but he gets like, he 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 becomes manipulated by the gods, and yeah. he has to take like a, uh, he drinks like you know, um, a contaminated wine, and he becomes like not himself. Hmm. But then he he ends up killing a bunch of mutinying or whatever, or you know, friendly firing his own troops, hmm. and Ajax, at the end, has to kill himself. Because he's so over, over, you know, overboiled with guilt, um, and I think obviously Tony Montana doesn't have that that se sequential distinction where he's like, now I'm killing all these troops, and then now I'm like thinking about it and processing it. It doesn't happen with Tony Montana. It all happens in the same sequence. Yeah. But I think I think the theme is still there that he's like, you know, he 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 betrays himself by being too too good at what he does. Yeah. And then he ends up hurting everyone around him, and then he ends up dying. 
Yeah. For uh, uh, in, a, in a kind of redemptive stroke. And uh, that scene where he just shoots up everyone at the end, you know, that scene is like makes the movie kind of what it is. Like if you, I watched this with friends some years ago and yeah. no one really liked it because that scene is why you watch the movie. And if you don't know that scene's coming, you're kind of like waiting for it. Hmm. And you mean if you do know the scene's coming, you're waiting if you for don't it? know it's coming. If you don't know it's coming, you're kind of waiting. You're kind of looking for something that's, that's fun. Um, and you're not finding it, and 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 um, some people just can't don't have the talk the patience. Wait, and are, like, yeah, are you sort of saying that like they expect it to just be like an action blast? Yeah, they expect it to be like an action film. They don't expect it to have any dramatic quality, and yeah. that's why I think it is like a Greek tragedy because it does have a dramatic quality. It has a denu- it has a, one of the best denouements in um in 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 in, in filmmaking. Yeah, and I think. Uh, you know, if you're not if you're expecting it to be like like some you know high tech, uh, Mission Impossible sort of like Terminator Two or something, just like a... yeah, if you just see it to be like a like a spectacular you know action thriller mm-hmm. that's fast paced or fast and loose, you're not going to get that. And Scarface is actually it's actually an exploration in, the, in the, kind of the sociology of these immigrants from mm-hmm. Cuba and the and the Floridian lifestyle. It's it's really exploring like a like a way of life that's sort of removed from the average Americans, like, you know, your purview, but, um, but it, it but still ex- definitely exists. Well, and it's, yeah. it's a more sophisticated film than, than anyone really gives, has given it credit definitely, for except yeah. for academics definitely. and some critics. Well, and I think, yeah. and I think the, um, when Oliver Stone wrote it, he was trying to overcome like a horrendous cocaine addiction. And when, when he finished writing the screenplay, he was, he kind of quit cocaine. That's interesting. So it was kind and of so, like a cathartic purging of, of yeah, very much a purging of the of this sort of uh, you know yeah. vi- vicefulness, this lust for uh, for for um, pride or whatever, and um, the uh, you know whatever cocaine does for Oliver Stone. Um, I would think the the lustfulness of this character Tony Montana is extreme. He's got every sin. Just kind of, he's got wrath. He's got lust. He's got pride. He's got yeah. doesn't really have gluttony, but he has greed, and he, you know, and he's just got envy. He's got all of it. Yeah. And obviously, the, the, the you know, you know, the way they talk to each other is weird. Like the when when um when, when Sosa uh, not Sosa who's the guy is, is that the main bad guy Sosa. Sosa, I think, is the kind of posh um, Colombian. Sosa is the guy who ends up ordering him to die, right? Yeah, he, because yeah. he's like when he no. when he visits Sosa in Colombia, yeah. he's he's talking like don't don't fuck me, like yeah. don't he's saying like this weird sexual language that like no one talks in. But in the movie, it just worked because he's this coke cocaine de- dealing Latino yeah. hothead. So it just kind of worked, and he didn't. He also really worked because he's very like immaculately polished, right? He's he seems like this classy, you know, like hacienda, yeah. um, you know, um, uh, aristocrat yeah. type of guy. And then all of a sudden, he when he when he looks at Tony, he's very stern. He's like, "Don't fuck me," and he he doesn't say like, "Don't fuck with me." He doesn't say, "Don't try to like, don't goof off." Like he he says it like very on the nose, sexual. And I when I first saw the film as a teenager, I was like, such an unusual way to talk, even for the eighties, you know, yeah. even back then. Well, I think. I think part of it, I guess, is that like there's this kind of like power language where you just talk kind of just so brutally almost to just understate how blunt and 
effective you're trying to be or something. I, I mean, I, I think I think it gives that impression. It gives that impression of just like being extremely real, this kind of brutal. Oh, extremely real. Yeah, like to the bare bones. And and then Tony does like you know fuck him. You know, and then that's <laughs> why, and then that's and that's why he he ends up getting murdered by like an army of yeah of goons. Yeah, it's really kind of an amazing film. It, it reminds me of like a giallo film or like a um, you know, like it has that sort of sensibility that like those giallo films have, but it's way more meaningful and American yeah. and capitalistic. And um, the uh the the scenes where where you you get these nice shots of the sort of pastel Miami and South beach and all the buildings that are kind of funny colors and they're walking up the stairs. Like when that guy gets chainsawed in the beginning, oh, yeah. they're, they're, it's really long walk up the stairs. Hmm. And, it, and I remember my friends were like getting really bored at this scene. Like, Oh yeah, a modern movie wouldn't have this. And yeah. it's like, well, but I mean, they're probably dipshits, but like still they're like <laughs> walking. They couldn't have the patience for guys walking upstairs. It was like really kind of funny. And I'm like, and then literally at the end they get chainsawed up, and it's like you know, you under, have to understand that like it, there's, there's refraction and contraction, right? And like, <laughs> and, and the more the more boring it is, the more buildup there's going to be. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't pacing, they didn't have the, you know? the that's uh, yeah that's 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 pacing in a nutshell. But they didn't have the presence of mind to see that when watching this very well established film. It's really kind of depressing. Yeah, it is depressing. You know, being being unable to access some 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 meaning some structure that's really there just because you're impatient or something it's it's pretty bad it's like it's like you want to eat a you want to eat a and the other some some footnotes to this about Brian De Palma's making of this film it's probably his best movie um has to be his best movie and and I think Carlito's way might even be better low, low key but that remains to be seen because I know you're not as much a fan of it as I am hmm. um but Scarface uh, is his most well-known, probably his best. And uh, when he was making the film, everyone talking to him at the time, the, pro the, the producers were like, hey, or the studio or whatever, was like, hey, you're going to make... Because it was, it was a remake, technically. Like, there was a movie called Scarface that was loosely written about Al Capone. Because mm -hmm. Al Capone was called Scarface because his, his barber cut his face or something like that. Uh, it was some story where the barber cut his face, and he, and he's like, and he didn't kill the barber. He's like, no, I like it. I like that you cut my face. Thank yeah. you, like that kind of thing. And um, by the way, um, as as an aside, the uh, the scene where he visits his mom, very, very, um, it's a very well done scene in terms of cinematography. The 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 the, the house is so small, and it's so dark out, and there's just one light emitting from the house in this yeah. weird kind of florida area it doesn't really exist anymore that architecture is long, long gone mm -hmm. and just seeing that is like and then seeing this, this hispanic sort of humble moment where she's like really upset with him but can't say it doesn't really want to talk to him and then the sister kind of shows in and that's kind of the light in the dark is the sister being now a new character in, in the group but like that scene was really well done, and like there's sides to this movie that are very elegant, and they just and it's just sort of they're brushed under the rug because this film is known for its bombast. But that being said, when they were trying to make the film, um, they were saying to De Palma, like, you need to make this like, um, like a Chicago film. You need to make this like a take have it set in Chicago, 
and make it like a cr criminal gritty, you know, corny Italian American, you know, film like a, you got to make it like um like a like a like a classic prohibition era mafia style. And he said, no, no heck no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. It's, this is going to be in Miami. It's going to have pastel colors. It's going to be bright. It's going to be like what Miami is. It's not going to be like and it was the movie was going to be set in Miami anyway. Yeah. But they just they were insistent that the movie have a style like an older like you know caper or whatever. Like it had this sort of dated style. And he and he w was really smart to say like no, we're going to make this as Miami as possible. We're going to have it be brightly lit neon lights, right? Yeah. Well, and now, you know, he succeeded so well. It's like one of the first things you think about connected to Miami sort of. Or it's yeah. at least it's sort of tied in with the sort of mythology of the city and the the meaning of the city. It's a young city too. It's not that old. It's what hundred years. It's been around. So like the um the fact that he was able to like bring so much of its so much of it to life is is kind of staggering. The only other film I can think of that really does this in a similar vein is um that funny Robin Williams movie where he was like a gay guy and his son was like a conservative. And his son had to marry a woman, and, the, and her family was conservative. And then the family had to meet Robin Williams, and he had to pretend to be like a woman. <laughs> uh, or or his, it, he didn't pretend to be a woman. His boyfriend pretended to be a woman. Oh, uh, is it the Birdcage? Yeah, the Birdcage. Yeah, huh. that's the only other film that really kind of accentuates that that color palette, that that sort of swatch of of South Florida. It's the only other film that kind of does it without, you know, pulling its punches. And weirdly enough, that movie is like the opposite movie. It has nothing to do with yeah. uh, really Scarface. Yeah. It's totally, totally everything, everything unlike Scarface you could even imagine. <laughs> um, but still, they, they, they're sort of the night and day, I think, for, for that sort of sh that visual showcase. Yeah. Um, and it's incredible. And it's, if you haven't been to South Florida, you should go. It's an incredible place. Tickets are typically cheap. And a lot of the time you do still get that um, ocean, sorry, that uh, South Beach glamour um, vista. You get that, those, those uh, art deco shots of the hotels on the, on the beachfront. So yeah, really a marvelous place to, to check out. Top, one of the best tourist destinations in the world. Um, anyway, so Scarface, legendary film. I can't really praise it higher. Is there anything you want to say in closing on the Scarface chapter? No, just yeah, I agree. It's a, it's like a classic. Just it's a classic, and uh, the um, so I guess because and the Al Pacino's acting in it is stupendous. Like it just, it's yeah. so weird how he acts. It and he and he doesn't. He's always been a good actor, but in that film, he just goes over the top. Yeah. Um. And I will. I think the other thing that I, that people don't all often talk about is that at the beginning of the film he starts out in Cuba, and then he moves and he's like a, he's like this sort of slumming around until he meets he, until he meets F. Murray Abraham's character. He's kind of a nobody, mm. and uh, I think he was uh, that early part of Scarface is underrated where he's sort of like in the sort of like the detention center in Cuba. Oh yeah, and then he. That, that that whole that that's kind of a vibe all its own and it kind of yeah. sets the pace for his identity in the film yeah there's one scene that was the only funny scene really is when uh he kills frank remember frank he kills frank 
um, in a power grab. Was Franklin then, his first boss, kind of? Who first just, boss, like, yeah. His first boss is Frank. Giving that's that's the middleman between kind of... between Souza and him is yeah. Frank. Yeah. And Frank sets him up at the beginning and seems like a kind of a good guy. And he actually steals his wife, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. And anyway, so Frank is there. And he he confronts him in his like boardroom in his house, I guess, and kills him. And then there's that guy standing, Tony. He's what's his name? Um, I don't know, but he, there's a guy, a security guy standing there. Yeah, and he who, who's still alive. And after he brutally murders Frank and some other dude, he's like, "Hey, man!" And he, the guy's scared shitless. He's like, "Oh, what, what, what's going on? Yeah, what's what's going on?" And he's like, "Hey, you want a job?" And then and he's like. Oh yeah, I'll take a job. <laughs> that was the only funny scene in that entire movie because it's not a funny movie. It's, they look funny, they act funny, the world's funny, the city is funny, but the the, the actual dialogue isn't really funny. No, it's know? not. It's it's very like um, I mean they they even make jokes, but the jokes are sort of like diegetic <laughs> almost. Like you're meant to just be seeing them make weird gangster jokes to each other. They're not actually. You're actually supposed to laugh, I think. No, th- those are the kind of jokes that goons make to try to like can just, just so, to like isolate the people around them and stay and stay in, intertwined with with their own milieu. Like, yeah, like yeah. when people who are really in their own in their own pocket groups, people yeah. will make jokes that aren't even funny. They just but they they all pretend to laugh yeah, anyway just to like consolidate. Well, they had to consolidate their their their, their collective position. identity. Yeah, their collective in their position. Yeah. Um, and so, and their show, and that movie does, showcases that pretty well. Yeah. Um, especially in the, in those beach scenes where they're harassing those girls with the, you know, the, the, the tongue between the fingers gesture. And... Yeah. That's definitely not meant to be funny. That's just sort of showing how bizarre and retarded they are sort of, or at least. Cheap. Yeah. It, it shows you how, how like sort of maniacal. And, and sort of out to lunch, he kind of is. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it, it shows you that he's brave, you know, which is which is important to understanding his his character because he is a brave person, if not just brazen. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, moving on from Scarface, we have Carlito's Way. Carlito's yeah. Way, yeah. The spiritual which, successor. Oh, spiritual successor, I and yeah. I, 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 hundred percent agree, one hundred and ten percent. Agree. I think um, what Tony, what Al Pacino was Tony Montana. He was a Cuban in Miami. Yeah. In this film, it's ten years after. He's a little older as an actor, but he can still play a Latino man, and he plays um, a Puerto Rican in the Bronx, right? South yeah. Bronx, uh, or is it Harlem? It's Harlem. I think it's. I don't know. I don't remember. I think it's Harlem. Harlem. By the way, Al Pacino is from the Bronx. So this really works because he knows these characters. Yeah, I think he, I think his acting is arguably better than than Tony than when he plays a Cuban. Like, because because he I think he knows these char- these these types of people better. Yeah. Um. From 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 life experience, and uh, um, they're might they're not as interesting. To, they're not as interesting on screen because it's a little more it's a little less glamorous. It's not it's not as exciting as Miami, right? Yeah. But. Spanish Harlem, those Puerto Ricans in Spanish Harlem, they do have really distinctive uh, accents and mannerisms. And Al Pacino um, kind of nailed it. And, and the Luis Guzman character was, was probably even more <laughs> in, uh, in, in interesting to watch because that accent that he has is, is very um, kind of rarefied but does exist. 
and the fact that he that someone was representing that act particular accent and, and sort of the, those character qualities was cool to watch in the film and Luis guzman is kind of um uh a very interesting character in the film on his own but he's not in he doesn't you don't see much of his personality uh yeah he, he's only in a few scenes right He's he's he he kind of snakes in and out of the film. I mean, he really is a snake in the, in yeah. the end. So, and, so so if I remember correctly, so Carlito has mercy on this like brazen guy in a nightclub, and uh, Pachanga, who's uh, Guzman's but, character, Luis Guzman, yeah, is like witnessing that as as Carlito's like, yeah, don't kill him, just let him off with a warning. And then it all comes back around later where Luis, I mean, does he does he does he like is he part of the team that's trying to take out Carlito or, or I know he, no, no. He so like somehow. the film, when I first watched this, I didn't really get it either. I was kind of like, it's kind of good. I could see why it's like Scarface for sure, but it's, it's kind of, it was kind of mid. That's what I thought when I first watched it. Yeah. I just, I watched, I rewatched it twice, I think. Plus some scenes here and there oh, on no, TV. He does betray him at the very end, right when he's at the train station. No, he does betray him. Yeah, he does betray him. But yeah. I'm trying to say is that he doesn't he doesn't like decide to betray him because he's like he doesn't like him or something. He betrays him because he's not getting paid. And he they 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 say it in passing that oh he'll do anything for money. Yeah. And they say uh, I I don't quite remember who says it. I think it's the guy who hosts the nightclub. Yeah. Or someone like that. Someone also like not very like central. It's like oh, Bachanga's complaining again because he and he's complaining not getting paid enough. And then later on, someone else says, "Oh yeah, Pachanga, he'll do anything for money." Uh, and they're just yeah. sort of saying these things like while 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 Carlito is running running around doing something else. Like yeah. he's not even listening to these guys when they say this. Yeah, he's not listening, and you're not listening either. That's what that's the genius is like. You're you're so concerned with because Carlito's obsessed with his fucking lawyer making all these mistakes. Yeah, for like the that's that's what's driving the film is trying to figure out this lawyer's solving his lawyer's problems for him. Yeah, because he owes it to him. See, that was the problem he made is that he gets he gets saved by this lawyer, but then he made a, makes a deal with the devil, and the whole film he's trying to help out his lawyer buddy who is not really connected to his world. He's not yeah. connected to the world. He is. So anytime he puts an extra effort to help this guy, it doesn't. No one in the community is like, oh, is gonna is gonna get anything out of it. Yeah. He's just doing it for his, in his own kind of metaphysical, you know, moralistic interest. He's trying to do, he's trying to feel good for himself. Yeah. But this lawyer guy, he's 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 a total snake, uh, and he's played very well by Sean Penn. Sean Penn's an excellent actor, as we all know, mm-hmm. and he uh, he betray, he kind of betrays all sorts of people and uh carlito gets more and more uh fed up with him eventually he kind of gets him killed right he, he basically he, he sells him out to the italians well well he, uh, he doesn't sell him out but he he right he removes the uh, the bullets from his revolver yeah and then when and then when the uh, the, the 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 uh the guy the the, the son i guess of, of the guy who was killed of the of yeah yeah Vinny. <laughs> Yeah, Vinny shows up in the disguise as a policeman in a hospital and shoots him in his bed or kills him or something. He does something. And then then the Italians are chasing Carlito. So Carlito, the problem that Carlito has, and I will say this maybe once for sure, maybe more than once, is that he 
is considered as like as just like a is just like a you know like a like a like a street tough. Most yeah. people view him as a street tough, but he views himself as like as like a real like professional guy, like a real like you know sort of whitewashed you know he doesn't view himself as really like this Hispanic street tough anymore. Well, he has this sense of honor, and he, feels... he has a sense of honor that transcends being like a low life. And it's kind of what made him so effective at being like a heroin dealer. But <laughs> he, because uh, the funny thing is, he doesn't deal cocaine; deals heroin. It's another distinction from Tony Montana. Yeah. And but he was so effective at being a heroin dealer that now he kind of views himself as beyond, as like a as a, like a real like white collared professional. Hmm. And because of that, he's got a split personality that that is leads to his downfall. Tony's Tony Montana's problem was that he was too consolidated. He was yeah. too much animalistic. He was too of id. He was too of himself. Yeah. Carlito's problem is he's divided. He's like, am I like this nice in talking professional, you know, white collar criminal? Or am I like a fucking muscle, you know, you know, you know, gun blazing heroin pusher? Well, like, what am I? What am I really? muscle like you know what am i and and the whole time you're watching this film the world is trying to remind him that he is just he comes from the streets yeah but he never accepts it he never accepts it until maybe the end when he realizes that he's gonna die and gail has to uh move on yeah i think that's when he kind of accepts that he was always just sort of a street tough he never really was this um you know lawyer like white collar dude yeah, well, I mean, I, I think um, I, I, I sort of see it as just this kind of it's almost like Scarface is like hell and Carlito's Way is like purgatory or something. They're like opposite movies to each other in some ways. But rather than identity, I sort of just see it as like he 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 gets off on a technicality. So he shouldn't even be there kind of and he's trying to make things right. But he just can't he can't ultimately outrun his past like. What's a he can't outrun his past at all, and um, the uh, John Leguizamo character, uh, what, what, uh, Benny B- Bino from the Bronx or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That guy, um, is isn't it great how how you just kind of forget about him at the end? Yeah, isn't it great? Like he is obviously like he's obviously so obviously set up to be the villain because yeah. he's literally thrown down a flight of stairs they had this huge argument he's just treated like a punk like he's obviously set up to be in the film like he's there's no there's no indication that he wouldn't be in the film except for the fact that he's thrown to a dumpster but like beyond that it's just like you you know that he's going to come back and yet the film distracts you with a sort of wonderment of like oh you have to go kill the guy on the boat and then you got to go and run away from the italians and then yeah. All this shit, and it, you're you're and you catch the train, right? You're thinking in your head like that guy's way in the past. That guy has nothing to yeah, do. Yeah, you think, yeah, he really surprises you, and and you know it's 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 terrible that for his act of mercy, he's 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 killed. You know, and the only reason he the only reason that he um well it wasn't it was merciful, but he that wasn't the guy that that guy you know mercy. There was no mercy with with Benny. Like Benny, it's like. The merciful thing for would have been to, to just hang out with the dude and like hear him out and stuff, but he didn't want to do that, and so he ended up just beating the shit out of him, like beating the living shit out of him. 
And that kind of guy is not going to forget that kind of thing. It's just obvious. Yeah. Um, he's, he's such a wannabe, you know, he, he's just not going to forget that kind of thing. Yeah. Got a chip on his shoulder. And chip on his shoulder. And, uh, and that scene in that, that club is really cool. Like all the, like the, and the acting he does in the club when he's acting like he owns the place is very good. Um, cause it's, it's out of character. He doesn't really act that like that kind of guy when he's interfacing with in the other, other scenes. But he just kind of revs it up for that for the for that those club scenes and Pacino this just does really well um in terms of acting. And then um the only thing, the only reason Benny even had a way in to killing uh Carlito was because Pachanga was being sidelined so much mm. that Pachanga double crossed Carlito. Yeah. And then Pachanga gets killed too. Yeah. Wait, um, yeah, remember he was like, sorry, Carlito, man. You know, uh, and then he's like, I, we're going to go. He's like, and then Benny was like, no, you stay. And he shoots him as well. Oh, man. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. And then they kind of make it seem like he might not die because he's like, you know, going to the hospital. Oh, he's on a stretcher. Yeah. He's on a stretcher. But you, but he's like fading out a lot. And he's saying like, this is it. This is my small stand. And he's yeah. saying stuff like this. He's also saying like, I don't want to go to a hospital. Like. Yeah. And then it's based on a book um, by Edwin Torres called After Hours, hmm. which is um, funnily, funnily enough, has no relation to the movie that Scorsese did. Yeah. But it's uh, it was the basis for this Carlitos way. Yeah. And I really liked the way the sociology of like the, of, of Harlem. I do think it, it might be a little too romanticized in the film. Yeah. Because I have been up to Harlem and it doesn't really come off like that, you know. It's a little more, it's not as like exciting. Yeah, but you know, it's it's been uh twenty or thirty years. What did you think of the film in the pool hall where the guy where his cousin gets murdered and he has to shoot his way out? Oh, that was cool. I mean, I think I think that was that that scene had a it sort of served the purpose of showing that even though he's kind of this nice cuddly guy who's trying to make things right, he still has this like badass past that um just kind of kicks in when necessary like he's not he's not yeah like like you kind of respect him a little bit more because i i hate to say it but sometimes i feel like it's hard to uh moral goodness in a movie can kind of appear like lame or ridiculous or something like you know coming off of scarface he seems like this kind of absurd like soft guy but um so that 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 seems good because it showed that like it's not just cowardice it's magnanimity like he he's he's withholding uh the the power and violence he's actually capable of normally which is you know i mean that's that's the difficult thing about the movie it's it's sort of harder to tell a story of a guy being good than a guy just sinking deeper into evil it's just it's just more difficult um it's it's hard to make it interesting kind of um but i'd also say and this is kind of random th- th- there are some scenes where it's just like silly like it's almost like slapstick like i feel like he's like hiding behind balloons or he's like slipping off between like a bunch of police officers who get on a train it doesn't really seem fitting for like the ultimate climax to be this like cartoonish hide and seek chase um but that's that's kind of a minor criticism i think the the sort of switcheroo where he actually manages to escape and that the last second he's he's taken down is a uh... oh it wasn't it was weren't you so rooting for him when he was like you know running away from those this Goomba, the Goombas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's tantalizing. It's just scum. And it's like, he, you know, he's he, he did everything right. And 
by all rights he should go go off and retire but it's like he lingered just a bit too long i mean it's it's the same uh it's the same greek thing where like you turn around and take one last look at uh yeah eurydice yeah eurydice and she and she turned she vanishes she's swallowed into hell or 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 you turn to stone i mean depending on your perspective on it right yeah yeah we're you know sodom and gomorrah i mean that's more fitting really that he he'd like i don't know it's 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 weird though because he's not taking one look one last look as if he really wants to be in that underworld it's more just he's like so obsessed with making things right and like tying up all the loose ends and I mean, what it was was he like you were saying he just he's just kind of he feels and he this, does I mean he I'm sure his unborn child would have had an interesting sort of development yeah you know uh, well, yeah he does it's not it's not a failure it's just like it's, it's a just, pyrrhic victory though because he really he does lose his life and yeah. the world that he he had set up for himself just kind of burns down yeah and it's it's tragic because you know again his best friend literally he gets his best friend killed deliberately. Yeah. And he did, you know, what the funny part was, man, is, and this is, I think, part of the beauty of his character in the film yeah. overall, is that he actually does the Italians a favor. Uh, how, how like, so? the whole time, he's kind of on their side, isn't he? He's kind of like, he's kind of like, hey, man, you, you, you fucking stole his money, didn't you? You fucking ripped him off. And then yeah. when, he, yeah, no, and then, he's, he's never, he's, he's totally impartial. He's totally just. He doesn't want to kill the fat guy, the, uh, the guy who's, who Sean Penn is busting from prison. He's like, all right, I'll do it. I'll, you yeah. Know. He does. He, he's literally trying to be like as polite and considerate as he can. And he still gets framed for the murder. And literally he, he has, he lets the son Vinny kill the, that guy. Like he, he removes the bullets from his revolver, tricks yeah. him. And then he can't defend himself. And then he shoots him. Well, that, that sort of annoyed me because it seemed almost like an act of malice for this otherwise nice guy, but it's really not, you know, it's his friend betraying him and just, just, it's honestly just sort of like that lawyer guy. You're right. He's not in that world. He basically, he was going to get killed. No, it, you, no, you're right though. You're right that he should, he shouldn't have done that. That was a personal thing to an extent because had he let that guy have his gun, he might've gotten a fair shot at Vinny. Oh and yeah. And it, it would have, it would have kept him in frame. Like it would have kept the lawyer, lawyer dude right, as, yeah. the, as mob the target. Focused on, uh, the mob would have focused on the lawyer and they wouldn't have been so obsessed with catching Carlito. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that kind of disappointed me. I remember seeing that and be like, what? Like this guy is so like morally pure kind of, and now he's, he's just that was his downfall. I think, thing. I think, I think it was self-indulgent yeah. and it, it was, it was kind of cool. Like it was a slick move, yeah. But it just, it just, it, it, it fucked him up because now the mob had no one else to go for. Yeah, him. it's kind of hard to tell, honestly, because in a way, in a sense, he had every right to do it after the guy, like, first of all, embroiled him into this like scheme of rescuing a mob boss, and then what's most egregious, like straight up, just killed a mob boss and his friend or his son or whatever. Was that was his son? Yeah, he killed his son, his other son. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. And then his brother has his vengeance. And then the way that they're made up, like, the, you know, Petey uh, Escovito or whatever his name was, Peter Almaganzo, mm. he's like, what's he doing? He's a made man. What's he doing here? And it's just like some fat dude with a mustache and glasses. But you're like, <laughs> the way he talks about him, you know, like when he enters his club, like he's a big deal. It's kind of funny. Like, Yeah, it is. It's because it's like it's very believable, although he hasn't been set up at all. It's just like it, it's it's this nice little artistic trick where like. It just feels like you're in this world, and it gives Carlito more of a feel of a past than. And then when they when they when they do the sh- they do this excellent uh, trick where they they do the shots of their their faces, and there's obviously the, the fat guy and this yeah. guy with glasses is 
also kind of fat, but really tall. Yeah. And they have the close up of their faces, and he they go from a low angle looking at all of them to make them look even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And they go in, right. it goes in a circle, right? It goes in a semicircle, and you're like, wow, like that's like you really had to plan that out, and and it just just to make them look more menacing than they actually are because they're not really that menacing. You know? Yeah. They're only menacing because they have guns, you know. Yeah. So and you can't see them. So you have to actually you have to give it that perspective that Carlito has, and uh, and he he's like, oh, they'll read this with their eyes closed, you know. Once the the fat dude's killed, the, the I think his name is Frank or something. Oh was, yeah, the the mob boss guy. Mob boss, yeah, the the made man or whatever. He was killed, yeah. and he uh, and they're like, oh, they'll read this with their eyes closed, which is like kind of a crazy thing for that movie. Like that's like a like, that's kind of like a high. I, I hate to say it, it's kind of like a high IQ line. You yeah. know, for for a guy like Carlito, so yeah. really interesting that he knows the playing field of of that world so well, and yet he still gets kind of fucked over by it. Ultimately, he can't well, escape. It. Yeah, exactly. He can't escape it, and it's like you know, he was let out in this technicality, and it's like the whole movie is is in this weird buffer interim space where like he, it's almost like he should be dead, and so it's almost like it comes as a relief when he finally dies, sort of. Because, and I hate to say it, um. Oh yeah, I also think it's funny that he 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 was like committed, and he was committed to this his like girlfriend who's like a stripper, you know. He was oh, like, yeah, he's like he's like oh, it's such a nice guy, and it's like kind of kind of overbearing at times. Well, it's a little, it makes him look a little pathetic, which kind of harms the interest that we have in him. Yeah, maybe it would have been a better movie if he was a little more less path- pathetic in those kind of types of moments. Yeah. Um. I did think it was funny though that when we, he went to the nightclub and he just kind of like the guy who hosts the nightclub, he just sort of bosses him around all the time, like the fat dude. Yeah. He just he's just like that guy is always just being pushed around, and it's yeah. like and it, that's that's kind of what he every time he looks pathetic, he'll go to that nightclub and he'll just sort of you know yell at that guy and he'll look a little bit more strong. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. a good little it was a good little trope they had or, or motif even just where they go in. Yeah, at least he's not that. That blubbering. And then that guy doesn't have the guy hid the money from him at the end. He's like, "Where's the money?" He's like, "Oh, I was gonna give it to you." Like, yeah. guy, the guy was such a like a you know a sleaze bag, but it was like, yeah, just funny. Uh, and uh, the only thing that they really missed was they didn't have enough of like a street life going on. Like at the beginning when he gets out of jail, prison, you know, they have him walking through the streets of Harlem, whatever. Oh, yeah. But they didn't have that front and center. It was mostly just that one nightclub. Which, and it was yeah. hard to tell where that nightclub really was because it was rather large. Yeah. Yeah, th- there was that kind of authenticity almost at the beginning, which kind of falls away. And then it's just like this lonely quest of this guy. It gets a little skeezy where he's just sort of hanging out in this, you know, demure nightclub environment. And yeah. he just gets a little, like, uh, theoretical for me. But I still think the film has got this sort of, like, astronomical perspective on on that world like just it's just you see everything from so far away that it makes you kind of wonder what's going on huh. on the inside um right like isn't it kind of tantalizing like you're looking at the star like all these all these actors and, and characters you're really wondering what else they're doing yeah. you know you, you really feel like you're in a world like a whole new world and you're intrigued by it but you never really get to explore it and i think that's how you know that the film was originally a novel is because it, mm. the characters are just so kind of aggressively well written yeah yeah i know what you mean like you have these little vistas that kind of open up and you only really get a sense of a glimpse it's almost yeah. like the whole movie takes place at night as well which it definitely doesn't but it, it does seem like it's and, but I, I feel like in a way that's the form reflecting the content that 
like he's somewhere between death and life kind of so it makes Pur sense. a purgatory yeah i mean yeah. i like your comparison to calling this purgatory and calling scarface hell i like that yeah. however brian de palma has not made a heaven movie a yeah. paradise movie i mean in the, the movie he made after this one was in 96 and it was guess what mission impossible he, he made the first mission impossible Jeez. um and i i would hardly constitute that as a heavenly <laughs> yeah yeah picture yeah and then he did something called snake eyes mission to mars femme fatale the black dahlia huh. redacted passion domino really yeah. nothing nothing that would indicate heaven maybe passion because it's a lesbian uh, romance <laughs> but yeah nothing know. nothing that really uh nothing that really redeems de niro so yeah maybe it's maybe it's just hell versus heaven or something you know or, or like a bad redeems guy. redeems de palma you mean uh well, no, I mean just because it's the same. It's the same actor in both movies. You said De Niro. You mean you mean oh Al Pacino? Oh, sorry, Pacino. Sorry, I, I've been mixing them up lately. I don't I don't know why. I did that yesterday. Oh, you know what's one that might be heaven, dude? Have you ever seen Phantom of the Paradise? No. That's the one where it's like it's like a, it's like a it's like Phantom of the Opera, but it's like, it's like it's like a, it's like an exciting like Elton John version of Phantom of the Opera. That's interesting. It's really, it's really like wild and eccentric, um, and colorful. You might, you might get a kick out of that. That's from 1974. It's one of his earliest films. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. There's a lot of movies you mentioned uh, today that I'm putting on my list. I actually haven't seen *Family of the Paradise* because it seems a little all over the place. But I, but now, now that you're talking about the paradise, you know, heaven, you know, you know, inferno, the purgatorio, and the par paradiso, I'm like. Yeah what would be the paradise in Brian De Palma's canon? And I think Phantom of the Paradise is the best indication, right? Literally. Yeah. I mean, he, he I mean, paradise is like that keyword that he, he sees that little poster or whatever, which by the way is, I mean that, that I hate to say it, that is kind of a, a defect artistically, uh, like on a, on a level of craft and on a level of like inspiration, I guess, just, just like that they would have a weird poster that wasn't identifiably anywhere in particular. That's just like kind of, Sort of met I will say that Harlem at Night. Belief. I will say that well, it, it was a '90s film. I mean, who really knows? The the, the art, the, the 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 you know the promotional art back then was all kind of yeah. less um, less glittery than it is now. Yeah. And uh, less, you know. Um, and the other thing was the um, Harlem at Night. You know, Spanish Harlem at Night does have the sort of aura of like. Of purgatory hmm. so you're, you're 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 hitting the hammer on the on the head or you're hitting the nail on the head from oh. hammer because it really is um indicative of like like spanish harlem like think about it it's not really hispanic america but it is it but it, it it's a little like you know um enclave yeah so, so it, it does it has a nebulous kind of role yeah you know um and so I think there is a purgatory vibe to that place. Plus, there's towers everywhere, but it's like, but it's residential and it's just kind of not very wealthy. Yeah. And so you're like, well, it, it does. It doesn't really fit any particular mold in American society. So it, the nebulousness it makes it the nebulosity, right? Makes it feel like uh, some uh, some style of purgatory. Now we're gonna move on though, because we talked this movie to death i mean i don't it's, it's a good great movie i don't know if it's yeah worth all the words that we've spent on it yeah. but uh <laughs> up next is the departed which is 
finally we're getting out of the Brian De Palma films. Yeah. Um. Uh. By the way, a good one, another good Brian De Palma film is Blowout, Dressed to Kill. He did yeah. Carrie, by the way. And he did the Untouchables. Um, I know Carrie, but the Untouchables. What is that? That was the one that um Sean Connery got like an award for or something. Huh. Yeah, Sean Connery got best his only best supporting actor award. Yeah. So I would watch that. It's about them taking down Capone. Oh, that's pretty cool. It was it's actually 87. It was it was in between Scarface and this one somewhat. Huh. More towards Scarface. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually, it's, you should watch it, man. It's, and it's written by David Mamet. So yeah. um, I think it, it's not the best movie ever, but it, it had like, it has like Duke Ellington music and it's got music com- composed by Ennio Morricone and it has, uh, oh. um, Kevin Costner's the lead. Oh. Robert De Niro's in it. Robert De Niro plays Al Capone. That's great. Sounds pretty good. I'll, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, it's on my list. I'll, I'll put it up high there, you know, high on the list. All right, so um, up next is The Departed. What year is that? Like 2005 or something? Uh, 2006. Okay. And this one is a Martin Scorsese film. Now, he obviously, we talked about Goodfellas before, all these mafia things like Casino, Goodfellas. Uh, those are the kind of two big ones he did in terms of the American Italian mafia, Italian mob, right? But this one is about the Irish mob in Boston. So it's already like a category of its own. Yeah. And Boston's like an unusual place to film, but it's very scenic. Like you can you can easily do it if you if you have resources. And I felt like this film when I saw it was like psychologically a lot more valid than Goodfellas. Goodfellas is like an it takes place in like what the late sixties, early seventies, then later on in the seventies. Yeah, and it's about a rat like like uh, Henry Hill. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of like dated already and they're trying to center but it's so stylized that they get away with it yeah this film was is modern it was supposed to take place around 2006 or whatever yeah um apparently it's actually a remake of a hong kong film called internal affairs Hmm. and but the the reality was that this is actually based on a true story it's based on the winter hill gang from boston Hmm. so the whole thing is is order it's um it's a modern film, which is nice. It's Irish mob, which is different in Boston, which is different. Yeah. And then it's also based on a true story, which you kind of don't kind of kind of is fine. That, that, that's perfectly believable. Yeah. But it's based on a Hong Kong version of that story in Boston. So it's it's a really unusual uh, development. Yeah. Um, for a crime film at this point. Eventually, you get later films like The Town. They sort of do the same type of twist, and you also get one. Uh, with Mel Gibson, where he's also involved in Boston, yeah, in, in, in the criminal underworld there. That movie wasn't as successful as The Town, but it's the same kind of idea. But this is the film that sort of started it all. Uh, I'll have you know that the friends, of, the movie I mentioned earlier in the podcast, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, yeah. also a Boston crime film, yeah, and that was from 1973. So go go check that one out if you if you have any interest in this subgenre here. Yeah. Um, but Will, what did you think of The Departed? I mean, did you like Jack Nicholson, or did you like who did you like the most? Yeah. Leonardo? I mean, they were all like amazing. Uh, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio really uh, stood out just because. I mean, part of it was just his his place in the movie. This uh, 
I really, I really liked um, this sort of moralistic dynamic of uh, Matt Damon, just who's like a dick, but everyone likes him, but he's evil. Whereas conversely, Leonardo DiCaprio is like, he's actually the good guy, but he's kind of fallen off the face of the earth, and like no one respects him. Uh, it's, 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 that's a, there's a lot of pathos in that, and I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, his acting was just amazing. Like it's, it's, it's really intense. Um, Jack Nicholson's great as well. He's just so, he's just so freaking satanic. It's like, uh, it's sort of fascinating and bizarre. Um, but they're all, they're all great. You know, just everyone, everyone in there is, is fun to watch. But, um, yeah, I particularly liked Ray Winstone and Alec Baldwin's, yeah. uh, roles because they, they didn't really have, like the film had, it was overloaded with, with a uh, high quality cast Yeah, and you didn't really need those actors to be anyone important, but they, they found a way to get Ray Winstone to do like the henchman for Nicholson. Oh, yeah. And that he's, was, uh, and he's a very intimidating, very like, it, it just works. And that yeah. he's not an actor you see in a ton of stuff, mm-hmm. but he's, he's, but he's, he's a working actor. And it really pulled it off, like very, very effective. He kind of actually, it was kind of like the the good cop, bad cop, or the night and day. Because uh, Frank Costello, Jack Nicholson is like is like is like overweening nice. You know, he's like always trying to charm everyone. Uh, yeah. It's like it's hard to believe. And then so you have to have this strong silent type that yeah. Ray Winston seems to just do rather um, effectively, and yeah. it's very stark, a very stark contrast between the two. And then. Um, uh, Alec Baldwin is on the police force. Uh, hello? Are you there? Um, like he's trying to like he's trying to be kind of suave, but he's also very serious. And yeah. it kind of indicates in one character how corrupt the police force might be. Because he is a serious captain, but at the same time he's also kind of kind of a fool um and he's kind of he's kind of kind of gnarly you know uh he's something's kind of off about alec baldwin's character so you're like you're immediately to get the sense that, that this police force is professional and it motivated but just not you know like rough around the edges for sure and so these care and then these characters really encapsulate their respective groups even though that even though ray winstone and alec baldwin aren't like you know, uh, they're not um, the primary important. figure. <laughs> they're not really important in the movie as as actors, as as dialogue givers. Yeah. As 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 they don't physically do anything of extreme consequence, but they they just they, they in one facial expression they can represent the entire dynamic of their group. Yeah. Um, and maybe Ray, Ray Winstone more so than Alec Baldwin, but all the same, they both do it. The two characters that really kind of blur for me, and maybe or were kind of the opposite in their function yeah. the, for the ones I just talked about were um, the ones portrayed by Alec, uh, 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 what am I saying? Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg, because on the surface, they are very similar, right? Yeah. They're both professional police guys. They don't really have a lot of, um, they're kind of no fuss, no nonsense personalities, straight laced to an extent. But the difference is one is like, you know, is like a realist. And the other one is, is a schemy idealist guy. And that's the main difference. That's the only difference. You know, one of them's like a pencil pushing or a skeevy pencil pusher, but he acts professional. And the other one is sort of a, a street tough, but he acts professional. They're yeah. both kind of rough around the, they're both kind of flawed 
and they yeah. look similar, yet they have very um, different agendas in the police force. Yeah. yeah and, and uh, you know, one's of course, good, of one's course, evil. Yeah, one's good, one's evil, and but one act, the one of them acts good, and the other one acts evil, and it's yeah, and they're they're rather the opposite, and the um in 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 point of fact, now Leonardo DiCaprio, his character is is appealing because ordinarily his roles he's he's like a he's like a pretty boy, yeah. In this film, he's trying so hard not to be a pretty boy that you kind of <laughs> you, you you kind of end up liking him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really accurate. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's very. He's just punishing himself so much that you you gotta you gotta like him, you know. And then Jack Nicholson is. I think w- what works for Jack Nicholson is that, you know, he's not in a lot of movies in this period. Yeah. But every time he's in the movie, he's just so wild and out. You're like he's just <laughs> really over the top, really, you know, extremely cool and charismatic, and. Uh, and he's he, he's known for those kinds of roles, but in this film, he's doing it in this sort of he has a kind of a you know a glean of wisdom to him that makes it makes him kind of devil like, and that yeah. really kind of confuses you. You know, a lot of the films with Jack Nicholson, you kind of get a sense if he's good or bad because it's like you know he's either like you know he's a kind of an asshole or he's kind of like a complex nice guy, but you get a sense whether he's good or bad. Yeah. In this film, you truly don't really know what side of the fence he's on. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think he's pretty clearly bad, right? Um, he's. You, well, you find out in the end that he's bad, but you, you but you feel like you're kind of rooting for him too, aren't you? Well, he certainly has a lot of charisma, and yeah, he's like kind of neck and neck with the police force. But I mean, geez, at the beginning, he's like he's like executing those two people in like a supremely fucked up way if i'm not if i'm not I, I know but i would argue that that is sort of perfunctory you know like that sort of sets the pace it's par for the course or whatever what or what have you yeah and that kind of thing you, it's easy to forget about that in a movie like this hmm. like i was just watching a film with michael fassbender called the killer yeah and he plays a hitman but he's the good guy yeah yeah and i'm not saying i wouldn't say that like He's a he's a he's a good he's like a good role model, but I would I just say that you know, evil good and evil qualities are are are, are not. They're not like, they're not forefront in your mind when it comes. They're not to forefront that. in your mind, and also like um, we have this attitude that there's like like fifty percent of the world's good and fifty percent is evil. Manichaean, yeah. Manichaean attitude, but that's flawed. I think in reality, the world is like eighty five percent good, fifteen percent evil, and that evil is like a fucking disease it's the black plague and some people have it really bad and some people have not so bad but everyone is mostly good they just have some percentage of evil lurking with it very yeah it's very true you know yeah and so with frank he he was complex enough that you you ended up rooting for him and it was really well done and it it it, it was i think the honestly that was the last great movie that jack nicholson's been in well yeah it's certainly yeah, certainly was like an amazing performance. It's like hard to like like we were saying. It's hard to pick who like was the best best actor here. Um, uh, I would say it has to be Nicholson just because he's so experienced. Yeah, it's a bit like um, it's sort of like how Marlon Brando like steals the show sometimes in certain movies. Just oh, by, absolutely. Just by a similar like gravitas and being the like sort of patriarch figure. 
it's always very uh, intriguing. And it's it's obviously very difficult to pull off. Have you ever seen... We were talking about the French Connection earlier. Have you ever seen the uh, Chinatown? Yeah, I did. That one's like an L.A. version of the French Connection, you know? Like, it's kind of boring, but it's interesting. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I'm... Obviously, Chinatown is probably a more sophisticated movie, but the reason I say it's the, it's the LA version is that Gene Hackman kind of looks like Alec Baldwin, John, sorry, Jack Nicholson, and they're both in both those films. They're kind of idiots, but they, but they still get it done. Hmm. And I think Chinatown, you um, is <laughs> in Chinatown. He's like, you know, he's like he's like depressed. Hmm. You know, he's not really that sympathetic because. What if he's flawed? It's flawed. He's flawed because he's an idiot, you know. But in this movie, so many years later, what like forty years later, almost forty, almost forty-five, he he's he's not depressed. And when he's flawed, it's not because he's an idiot. It's because he's he's smart enough to get what he wants. But what he wants is flawed. Hmm. Yeah. So this guy is is a mastermind. At, at, by the time you get to this film, yeah, like. The, the kind of person he's portraying is way different. Like in Chinatown, he, he's 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 like something. He's the good guy. He is the good guy, but he's annoying. He's like a, he's like confused. He's an adult. He, he makes mistakes that no one else would make. He's he's oblivious to what's going on around him. Yeah. It's like he kind of don't even want anything to do with it. But in this film, you know, he um he he's like he's like. He's, he has this devilish charm. Every he's effective at almost everything he does to the point that it's kind of insane, yeah. and it's really like it's really kind of exciting. But that but that at the end of the day, he's still the villain. It's like it's a very good encapsulation of how different he can be as an actor, and also how different the human experience can be. Hmm. Um, there's not a lot of actors in the modern era that you can compare to Jack Nicholson. Yeah, not even really Robert De Niro. I think Robert De Niro is a little more predictable than Jack Nicholson. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, he's more, he's he's not like surprising. He's just like really, he's a really good actor. Whereas Jack Nicholson is kind of weird and surprising. Like you're saying, he's always kind of keeping you on your toes. He has this like undercurrent of. By the way, Chinatown is 1974, and Jack Nicholson directed the sequel that was made in 1990 called The Two Jakes, which I think is hilarious because because the, the, any idea that Jack Nicholson would direct a movie that he also stars in as a sequel to Chinatown. Yeah. 15 years, 16 years later. Pretty funny. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's very odd. Um, It's so odd. And it's probably probably more than the curiosity, really. I'm sure there's some interesting yeah. um, gems in that film. Yeah. Anyway, so The Departed, uh, did you like Martin Sheen's role? Yeah, well, that, that's what I was kind of coming to. Like, sometimes Scorsese's movies just, like, totally leave me cold. Or, like, I sort of recognize on some level they're good, but it's also just, like, shrug-worthy. And I get the sense he's sometimes like indifferent to even the lip service of morality, or he's like very fascinated by evil, but just in kind of like the superficial way. Um, but in this, you know, Martin Sheen is just, he's a pretty solid, uh, like light side figure. You know, he sort of counterbalances Jack Nicholson and that he's just, I mean, he doesn't in terms of charisma because again, it's, it's, you know, the devil is not as, uh, as much more charismatic than, you know, some good guy, but, um, yeah, he, he was very, he, he was great. He was a very, like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of reassuring that, that 
Um, he's the opposite, and he's also the opposite to Alec Baldwin because they're both captains. Yeah, yeah, he is, and he's much more professional and like he's less of like a profane like asshole yeah. who's just like insulting everyone. I mean, honestly, those moments are really funny, but um, like you're right, they do show like you know the police department is sort of lacking a certain professionalism, kind of, and that actually sort of that that's realized when Alec Baldwin is like spying on this guy and they just like forgot to plant the cameras or something and, and they flee by boat. Um, the, the, the mob flee by boat or whatever. Um, but Martin Sheen just seems like a really solid, trustworthy. And Anthony Anderson was pretty good too until he got murdered. I mean, both of those guys got killed. Yeah. And, uh, and then they all, and, and everyone, it's, everyone gets killed, you know? Yeah, everyone except Mark Wahlberg and, and, I guess, and I guess Alec Baldwin. Yeah, he sort of just steps out. <laughs> yeah, they don't. I mean, th those guys were kind of clueless the whole time, honestly. So why, why can you remember why Mark? How Mark Wahlberg figured out that Matt Damon was the culprit? Uh, okay. Well, that that's another thing, and I, I'm not even sure whether it calls it criticism. I found the movie like really hard to follow, and it might just because like it might just be because I'm sort of stupid, or I might just be. Not well, there's probably, you know, now you know what it was is they probably just had some a lot of paperwork that was like left exposed, and a character walks into like a room that's oh, yeah. it's, it's... he looks at the document. It's one of those. It's like a spy movie where they yeah. just like look at the file, a Manila folder. You know, it's like yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's Leonardo DiCaprio's character is like sort of he just sees something on a desk which he had just seen elsewhere or something, and so yeah, it's like it's like, kind of a dead giveaway, but it's yeah, like really it's not a plain and sight, you know. I mean, that was. But but again, like that that kind of diffused a little bit of the thrill for me. Like that, I couldn't really tell what the fuck was going on. It took me like twenty five minutes to even realize that there are not a lot of great uh, thriller crime mystery films mm -hmm. where like the clue that leads to like the evidence, yeah, or whatever, like the conclusive evidence. That clue is usually not very sophisticated. It's yeah. it takes a special kind of movie for that clue to be like. Wow, that's the clue. Holy shit! And that's why in so many of these films, the actual clue is like forgettable. Like no one can yeah. remember what the clue was. Yeah, yeah. L.A. Confidential is 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 one of the better films in terms of having a good clue. Have you seen that? Uh, I don't remember. I don't think I. No, I haven't. I didn't want to include that one in this, largely because I didn't remember to. But also, it's just it's stylistically so different. That's actually a noir film. Yeah. that's been that was just done in the 90s like it they it takes place in the 40s or 30s yeah it takes place in the noir era and um but the clue in that film that it, it was really clever and and memorable huh. it's one of the few films where like the actual clue stands out and is is memorable what is the clue well you have to watch it oh, okay okay i will um but yeah so plot. And so this film, you know, like I was, like I was just saying, it's like the actual like nitty gritty. It's a little bit like that movie Spy Games that Tony Scott did with uh, uh, Robert Redford, where it's like he's moving so many documents around that the documents kind of blur together, and you forget, you can't really remember why the logistics or the logic of the um, of the uh, information gathering was effective or not. But yeah. in this. That's that, that that's also part of it, but then the actual violence is so impressive and, and spectacular that you're kind of like, you don't really care that the the, the information gathering logistics is well, sort of that kind of leads me to the next thing, which is basically that like 
I, I don't know. I feel like I've seen a lot of action movies. and I, so, I, Sometimes I used to feel like ever since video games were invented, like action movies are just kind of boring retroactively. But um, just the action in this movie was sort of so satisfying that I just felt like, why, why don't other movies do it this well? Like, it's just, it's really, it just, it, it does the job so well. And the whole movie, just visually and kinetically, um, in terms of cinematography and everything, it's so beautiful and interesting and like it's just it's it's such a movie you know and and i feel like uh scorsese's other uh cape fear really had that feel as well uh he has these like these like shots where he like runs up to something or whatever if you know what i mean like those shots that like sweep in in kind of an exaggerated way and um i just love that uh but those are those are all throughout here as well and it just makes it like very pleasant to watch um it's just really, really a movie. And in a way, I feel like... Uh, do you like this more than Cape Fear? Yeah, I do. I I, I do. Just because Cape Fear is... Um, it's kind of a bit odd. Like, it feels like... Um, it feels like Scorsese is, is more sort of interested in crime than he is in this sort of quirky story of this weird southern guy tormenting a family. I mean, it's an amazing... It's a really good movie, but... This just the part it feels more more fleshed out. It's a uh, it's kind of got more characters. It's like a bigger movie. It's a better candidate for like. The, the Edge of by the way, if you like this film, the writer William Monahan yeah wrote a few others that are pretty good. Yeah, um, he's not a director, but he wrote well. He wrote he you know what I mean mostly a writer. Yeah, and he wrote Kingdom of Heaven. Oh, that's interesting. He wrote, and then after that, a year later, he wrote the The Departed. Of course. Then he wrote Body of Lies and then Edge of Darkness. By the way, Edge of Darkness was the Mel Gibson film I mentioned that takes place in Boston, huh. which is which is actually a decent. It has Ray Winstone in it also. And it is actually um, a decent sort of crime film, mm -hmm. police in crime, you know, cop and robber film. Mm -hmm. um, and then he wrote one of those recently, um, two more recently. He wrote he wrote Marlowe and he wrote the Tender Bar. Yeah, those I've I've seen both of those, and both of those are um watch like worth watching. I've seen them. Uh, Marlowe I, I saw early this year, and the Tender Bar it's like on Netflix or somewhere like that Amazon hmm. Prime perhaps. And uh, I haven't seen Mojave or The Gambler. The Gambler looks good, and honestly, Body of Lies. Despite being a Ridley Scott fanboy. I have not actually seen Body of Lies yet. I'll probably watch that really soon. Hmm. Because it also has Leonardo DiCaprio, and it was made two years later. Hmm. Um, and it's also about cops and robbers and FBI, CIA, whatever. So The Departed, I mean, I I have to rewatch this because it's one of those films that you could probably watch like ten times. Yeah. Um, and uh, Scor it just it, it, this was the first film, I think, for Scorsese – since when that was like excellent like let's look at his discography or sorry his filmography yeah if you go down to it um the oh. aviator yeah i was never crazy about gangs of new york or the aviator I, and then the departed i really liked just shutter island i actually liked even though it's not critically as well received and then it well, hugo was uh i never really wanted to watch a kid's movie so i didn't yeah. watch it wolf of wall street incredible uh, sorry, you just cut out. Uh, 
Uh, and that's oh, one that you just cut out for he, a second. What was the last thing you said? The Irishman, yeah. um, it fuses the qualities of, of like Goodfellas and The Departed. Yeah. Because it's it's mo- Italian mafia with a little bit of Irish. Yeah. Um, and you, you have to be kind of smart to understand what that means. Because the, I think a lot of young people now, they would think, well, what's the, who cares? Yeah. They're, they're real, even though they're both Catholic, there are real differences between Irish Catholic and Italian Catholic. And also the different styles of, uh, you know, organized crime that they, that they, yeah. that they delve into. Yeah. And uh, but The Departed, uh, did you feel a sense of like when Matt Damon seemed like he was getting away with it all? Yeah. Did you feel like, oh, it, it was all for naught? Was there a doom and gloom for you? Um, no, I, I, I didn't really feel that. I sort of j- just from the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio was um, was sort of trying so hard. And the fact that the movie sort of get, paid some attention to him, like really putting everything on the line, I kind of had the sense that it would be there'd be some kind of re- resolution, however, uh, fearic or whatever. Um, although it's hard to say because I don't, I don't remember. Like, it's hard to tell. Like when you're in the midst of a movie, like what you what you expect coming up, kind of. Um, or sorry, it's it's hard to remember that retroactively, but. Um, it's, it can be overshadowed by the, the relief that it is all resolved. Uh, but did you, did you feel that? Did you get that sort of sense of dread? That, um... Yeah, I really did. I, I think with, in this movie, I think it's the, it's the one film where the villain winning pissed me off or disappointed me more than any other film yeah. that, that I can remember. Like, well, the, the prospect this, of it, because ultimately. The prospect, yeah, well, the, 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 the negative prospect of Matt Damon getting away with all of it. Yeah, just violated something in my internal being so much. Yeah, and then and then when Mark Wahlberg shows up, um, at like the Grim Reaper and just shoots him in the head or whatever. Yeah, it's just like okay, at least something was done right. Well, and that's that's what I think. Like the core of the movie to me, and like the thing that I found most compelling was you have this like little plucky, sort of pretty boy, who's from like a nice family, who's really smart or whatever, and he's just being dragged, you know, through the mud. And then conversely, you have this guy who's like a total asshole um, and also a, a criminal who's like deceiving the police. And basically, he's like the servant of the devil. Um, but he and he's just walking on sunshine. Everyone likes him. It's just very there's so much pathos in that. And I know it's a simple thing, but a lot of movies like sort of lose those simple. They sort of just lose those simple pathos grabbing dynamics because they're they're preoccupied with something else that's ultimately less interesting um but that was kind of the heart of the movie for me and so even though i couldn't really understand the plot uh sometimes um it still worked i mean the 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 movie felt i mean the the highest praise i can give this movie is it's like it just has that sort of feel of classic hollywood it it feels like dreamlike but you know that that's 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 incredible for a movie made in 2006 um it's it's really to my experience rare for for something to sort of flow in that way where it's just like saturated with inspiration but it's also working at such a high technical level it also did it also set the pace for so many uh cops and robbers films yeah. in the last 10 years or, or longer than that since it was made yeah it set the pace for so many films it actually kind of put boston back on the map i think yeah that makes sense. and uh I know, like, have you seen The Town? Uh, no, but is that the one where they dress up like nuns or something? 
They 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 rob banks. I don't remember if they're nuns actually. Yeah, they do. Much, you know, it's funny. When you when you first suggested I watch The Departed, I mixed it up with The Town. I was like, oh, do I can I watch this one? And I'm, yeah, I would like say I would say there. watch The Town and L.A. Confidential and The Town because those ones yeah will give you lend you perspective on the ones we just saw. Yeah. Um. But, uh, fuck. Well, I, I don't want to get into the next batch of films yet. Um. I guess The Departed is the best movie that uh, Scorsese has made in the last 20 years. Um, yeah. I would say better than The Wolf of Wall Street, better than The Irishman, and even better than Killers of the Flower Moon, um, which you saw. Have you seen The Irishman? I saw some of it, but I kind of lost interest. Yeah, it's very long, and they, they have all these, all these virtual effects where they're making you know, Robert De Niro looked like he's 23 and it's like sort of, sort of ludicrous. And then by the end of the film, it's like, you kind of, you know, what's going to happen. He's going to kill Jimmy Hoffa and he go, guess what? He does. And I think the reason why I stuck with it is because Al Pacino was really sympathetic when he yeah. played Jimmy Hoffa because he was so clueless to what the, the, the mob was doing. And you could tell that he really, th really, ins he was still insisting that he uh, had some major role in the power broking of the time, power, you know, power playing at the time. And it was kind of, you kind of wanted, you kind of, it was like the end of an era, you know, when he fell out of power, it was like the end of an era and he insisted on having power and they just got rid of him, you know? Um, and it, I, 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 I felt like the Irishman was like, was, it was almost like a, you know, it was a little too, it was, I think as a history fan, I like the Irishman. You I know see, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I don't think I don't think dramatically it was as valuable as as the departed. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, you might say uh you appreciate that it's sketched kind of a period of history that you are interested in. It's sketched. And I think and I'll be honest with you, man, I think Killers of the Flower Moon yeah. is a mixture of those themes. Like this sort of historically valid um you know, slice of life, yeah. but then also dramatically kind of compelling, um, well, uh, yeah. uh, sociology. And then at the same time, there's a, a sprinkle of that Wolf of Wall Street, you know, party boy attitude. Yeah, that's very true. It's a, uh, I mean, yeah, I could, uh, what do you think of the movie? Um, I quite liked it. Uh, it was, it was morally heavy handed. I didn't really, care that it was all that they were fetishizing the plight of the indigenous mostly yeah. because oklahoma is not where those tribes were from that's where they settled after the trail of tears they were yeah. kicked out and so they didn't touch upon it much but they kind of did mention it once or twice yeah. that they weren't really from there that they had moved there they're not like and then deeply, the white people moved. deeply rooted in the land they weren't deeply of. profoundly rooted in oklahoma yeah. so it was a little like they were playing up the fact that they were like in Native Americans a lot because you know that they weren't really from there. Um, yeah. Um, that said, they were totally fucking exploited and murdered yeah. in like a, in like an unequivocally nasty, vile way. Yeah. And I was like, these white dudes are fucking nuts. Like they're going in there and they're literally just just everything they do is like this righteous, you know, manifest destiny plot to yeah. like, you know, ex make as much money as possible. It's well, disgusting. yeah, that that that. Uh, well, I mean, uh, DiCaprio's character is just totally 
totally amoral um until the end where he kind of turns around a little bit and then he just did you did you sense at the beginning that robert de niro's character was responsible for all of it um no i couldn't i couldn't really tell if he was merely like a cynical guy who wanted money but was sort of benign or if he was actually like a i know i actually was I was like, okay, well, this guy's obviously evil because of the way he looks. Yeah. But then when you hear him talking, you're like, there's no way this guy's that bad. He yeah, just seems he, like, seemed, he seemed very benign. He seems so congenial. Yeah, he went to the trouble of learning the language, but, you know, all the more reason that... Um... But, yeah, that that uh, that guy who, like, was killing his wife and kids just to get the money, that's, like, that's that's really demented. I mean, that's, Wait, was like, that the brother? Like, who did that? It was just someone... It was just someone... In the it was near later, much later in the movie, like some guy was standing trial or something, and he, there was some scene where he was like at a at a uh, at a bank, and he was like trying to figure out like, oh yeah, if I kill my kids, like will I get the money? And the guy, the the clerk was just oh kind of like that guy, there. that guy was yeah. a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. guy was like totally morally empty. But uh, but by the same token, so was Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, not really. But... I mean, they they were all depraved fuckos you know yeah, like but... i wasn't really rooting for any of them by the end um yeah even like in the whole the, 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 that's another thing that kind of uh, uh ruined the ending i mean not ruined it but like it it, yeah. it kind of wound it down for me was that they had this like protracted trial yeah uh you know act like the like the, the last third of the movie i think was all just trial shit it was well, all just like yeah. And it was like, why Why did you need that when you know, once you were they're revealed to be evil, you know, you, you yeah. kind of, you're kind of done. And I guess the reason why was because like eventually they get released from prison. Yeah. And so it's like they didn't even stay in prison that long, you know, yeah. like yeah. He, the old man literally goes to Arizona and dies in Arizona. Like he's literally has like a whole next chapter of his life in Arizona. Yeah. So they like, I guess they're trying to show you that they they didn't really get punished as much as you would expect despite yeah. going to prison yeah. but I, I just felt like once you know that they're evil why do you continue the movie it's already so long and uh Definitely. and yeah. i think one of the best scenes was when um the native american guy is 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 ratting out them but this is the native american guy that they used like they, they they framed him and they used him for for like their antics and they had i think they had him steal the car remember oh uh the pretend to steal his car drunk guy yeah the drunk guy and they're like and he ratted them out and he kept calling them jews like you're you're too jew and i thought that was so interesting that a native american would Wait. accuse this white dude of being a jew i don't i don't remember that. i thought uh i remember they were at like some camp and there was a uh... Leonardo. This isn't this is this isn't at the camp. This is once yeah. they're both in 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 the in the booking room or whatever. They're both being interviewed by the police. I don't think that guy's Native American. Black. No, that guy was Native American. They they arrested a Native American guy. Yeah. You don't remember this? Uh, I mean, I I I don't know. I went to the bathroom a couple times. Cause... The Native American guy ratted out Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I remember. And his guy, dad. I remember a guy ratting his them uncle both out, but I don't. I don't remember that guy being Native American. I mean, he definitely was. He was a drunk guy who was Native yeah. American. Well, there was there was like a guy that was white that would like kill people, yeah. and there was a guy that was Native American that would like who, who like pretended to steal his car or whatever. Yeah, and the guy who was white, I don't quite remember what happened to him. I think he also got imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the guy who was Native American. 
he sold them out and, and they're like, why did you sell me out? Cause he, he was, he had to talk to him, had a conference with him. Yeah. And he was like, cause you're just a fucking Jew. And he kept calling him. Jew. And I thought it was so funny that this native American guy wasn't mad at him for being like the white man or like, you know, or like an exploitative Christian yeah. guy. He was mad at him for being Jewish, which is never really indicated that he was, Wait, but who... he didn't have like a German last name. Wait, so maybe... who's, who's Jewish? Uh, DiCaprio or, or De Niro? DiCaprio. He was like, you're, you're such a Jew. That's why I'm doing this. I mean, I, I thought he was, you know, Catholic. I mean, do you mean like his race was Jewish? That, that's my he... point. That's yeah. my point is that he wasn't really Jewish. He just kind of like the Native American guy decided he was Jewish. Huh. You don't remember that scene? No, I don't. I, like I said, I could have been in the bathroom or something. I mean, I I don't know. I don't, I don't remember that, though. I mean, I remember the little consultation in prison. Where one of the guys was like, "Yeah, what did that get me? They just put me in jail, and so he basically rats rats him out." Yeah, right. I think that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, but that's Blackie, right? Yeah, but I'm yeah, man. I'm almost certain Blackie's not Native American. Well, let me, I'm looking at the um... Blackie Thompson. Oh wait, just a second. Excuse, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause this for a second. That guy wasn't. Um... The actor isn't Native American, you know. Yeah, but he kind of like he looked like it in the movie, so I, well, I couldn't. I tell. know that's the thing. It's kind of it's kind of odd, especially because he's called you know he's called Blackie, so he has this like overtone of race in his nickname. I think that's the guy who was uh, talking about killing his own kids too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I could be wrong. No, that's that, a different guy. That's someone that's else. Different. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. You know, this this movie is kind of hard to follow. Uh, in part just because it's so long. It's very sprawling and under-edited. But um, sort of to what I think you were saying, yeah, once you once you know they're evil, you know, it kind of diffuses the dramatic tension. And more than that, um, just, the, just, just, just the sort of total lack of morality of Leonardo DiCaprio's character. He's just this kind of jellyfish who, like, He's kind of sad for like poisoning his wife to death, but he's not really sad and he won't even admit it. So and it's weird. It's like that. It's not that interesting. And that, that kind of annoys me. It makes me feel it. Scorsese. Did you think Did you, did you notice that he was poisoning his wife or whatever? Well, that too, that, that was kind of, that was kind of alluded to, but it took me a second to realize that's actually what he was doing. Yeah. I, I, I will say that they took a while to like make these arcs, like yeah. reach their end like you yeah. you're kind of like oh you know she's gonna call him out for poisoning her but it took like 15 more minutes for her to do it yeah. and they had like a, they had like a meeting in this room well it's you're, just, you're kind just, of like yeah it belied your it belied your expectations a lot and you're like okay so i had to wait 10 more minutes but i kind of enjoyed the high production value of the of the you know of the costumery and yeah and the uh you know and the lighting and 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 the, and the fanciful location that they you know they set the shot in so like by the time it's revealed that he did poison her you're like well it was an, it was a nice diversion before we so got to nice this ride. but it still took well yeah but the roller coaster ride still took 15 more minutes than it needed to but i mean that's exactly but that's the thing like where is when i was watching the movie i really struggled to find like the heart of what i was supposed to like care about the suffering of his wife is very poignant but she just kind of endures it and i don't know she she it didn't honestly i think it was, the fact that she was obese uh 
did a disservice to the sympathy because I was like, if she were thinner and she was suffering this much, you'd be like, fuck, dude, this is nasty. Like wasting but because away. She, <laughs> wasting away. But because she was fat, you're kind of like, well, what, can't you just not eat the food that's making you fat? And, and, and you know, like yeah, but it's like I mean, once you get diabetes, I think I think you're stuck with it, aren't you? No, you can you can you can you can help the diabetes by losing weight and stuff. Oh. Reducing sugars. And, yeah, yeah I, I hate to say it, but um, just films generally, it's it's. I mean, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to be sympathetic for a super fat person. I mean, I've never seen the whale, but the whole point of that movie is probably like no that that one is sympathetic because that guy, he's like he's the reason it's sympathetic is that this is a little bit of a spoiler, is yeah. that he's like gonna die no matter what happens. Yeah. Oh, so okay. and they, so that, and they established that yeah. really quick because really, it's based on a play. Yeah. And so they established really soon in the film, really early in the film, that he's going to just die. Yeah. There's nothing he can do. Yeah. So that's why it works. But in this one, you know, she she lives and she seems like she's in decent health, kind of. Yeah. And overall, she's got like her family around her, and there's no there's she has plenty of money and land. Like she could lose weight. Yeah. But she just doesn't, and you're kind of like, well, she's just kind of boneheaded. Like, oh, yeah, I'm you're right. It's uh, it's it's sort of. It makes you sort of less sympathetic to her. Definitely, I mean that's a good point. And it makes you it makes you see why a guy like Ernest thinks he could get away with manipulating her. Yeah. Right. Like I think a lot of you know a lot of the, those women were fat because they weren't they weren't supposed to have a standard American diet and they weren't used to alcohol. Right. Yeah. It wasn't compatible with their genetics at the time, but the uh, they the the whole you can see how these white guys would just exploit them because they just seem like dumb fatsos kind of like oh uh, they're so fat you know that they're, they're, they're probably they probably will like you know they'll believe anything geez. you know that's kind of funny but but i mean yeah that, that's a thing you, you can't feel that sympathetic for her merely because she's also kind of opaque like she doesn't really seem to have that much of an inner world i mean there are those there's actually that scene shot from her eyes where all the white people are glaring at her and you know that that makes you feel sympathetic to her but um she seems sort of secondary to DiCaprio because more time is spent on him, but he's certainly not interesting. He's just like totally evil. He's like just totally amoral and that's just not interesting. I don't know. It's like, it just becomes sickening how, how devoid of any, there's no change. There's, there's just nothing. I mean, he tries to change a little bit, and then he immediately goes back on it because he meets like Brendan Fraser or something, or he meets some lawyer who like convinces him to do otherwise. And I mean, as an expose or something, that's okay, but it's just not dramatically compelling. Yeah, I uh, when I, I I was riveted throughout the whole film. Huh. I like you know I, I think taking bathroom breaks didn't want to. Wow. Um, I will say that once I was done with it. I um I had a little essay in my head on what to say, but after like a few days, it just kind of whittled away, and I and I I didn't really have like a um a, a comprehensive statement to make about the film. It kind of felt like it kind of felt like they were they were the the, the production. Martin Scorsese, you know, says he wanted to make the film for like years. Yeah, but I kind of it just sort of seems like a throwaway movie in a way. It's just like, oh yeah, the fucking Osage, you know, got brutally manipulated. Yeah. But there was like, you know, it's like that's like not a story that anyone is surprised by. Yeah. And well, and the, yeah. in the depiction of it, it was was it was was clever because they they tried to make the white characters seem really nice and 
quaint and sy- yeah. and they they had sympathetic qualities for sure. But then they 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 reversified it and they slowly unraveled their true colors. Yeah. And they were just sort of like you know greedy creeps. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's you know that's a good like you know film right there. But then they just went on and on with the like with the loss with the, with the courtroom scenes. Yeah. And they had a lot of scenes where they you know they had all these characters introduced and they and then they they sort of like didn't do a lot with them and they had them either killed off or they had them just kind of run around and do miscellaneous crimes for like you know the fluff value yeah and i'm like the, the, this film's kind of overblown in, in a lot of ways and it's i think meandering. It's just, it's just yeah because sir says he is so powerful and he has so much money he can kind of make these overblown high super high budget films yeah and people will watch because there's not a lot of sophisticated not a lot of films that are sophisticated that have a high budget right now yeah. and I think it does. I think the um, the movie checks a lot of boxes, but it doesn't really have a have a strong point to it. It doesn't really have a significance. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It, exactly. It's like, what's the point? That that was what I felt when leaving. Like that was three and a half hours. What what the hell? Was well, they're the they're kind of trying to appeal to like a, a putative Latino sort of attitude, which is like we're white, but we're his we're, we're indigenous. Like what 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 does it mean? And this film is sort of trying to point out different um the distinction between white and indigenous in media res and it, that's cool but that, that's that's not something that's like super pressing like i think we all know what that is i don't think we have to yeah need three hours of it witness yeah. three hours of it and also like the brendan frazier scene like took me out of it where he was the lawyer like it was cool to see him be the lawyer but it was like yeah. so stark the way he acted with his big wide eyes yeah and his, his overbearing body and his bellowing voice and uh beyond that the um every all the character the the characters seems just sort of unhealthy like the white everyone was like an alcoholic or they're fat yeah it was kind of it kind of like gyrates you're like oh wow like these guys like they don't really take care of themselves and it didn't make me feel comfortable it made me feel rather ill at ease actually yeah well that that's part of it and and this problem was worse than the irishman but uh, De Niro is just too old, even to be a grandfatherly uncle type figure, and and Leonardo DiCaprio is too old to be a fresh young buck straight from World War One. They're they're just they're just too old for their roles. I I I, I did that took me out of the film somewhat, but honestly, I don't really care. Like it's yeah. like what he has a little more wrinkles, or or yeah. De Niro is like you know they have a little more wrinkles than they should. I. That's everyone's first reaction. It's boring. Like I, I can get over it. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and well, in that case, the, it's just the more structural thing of like, it didn't really seem like there was any arc. There wasn't any. There wasn't a point. There wasn't like any anything anyone to root for. And there wasn't any. Uh, there wasn't anything. There wasn't anyone to root for at all. And I think you were supposed to root for the the woman. Yeah. But you're like you're you kind of felt like she was. She didn't have. She didn't have her like. What she did smart was she went to DC and got got the Bureau of Investigation hang out to, to to check out yeah, the area. And that was good, and that was the only real thing that had like merit. Everything else was just her kind of suffering in the dark. Yeah, and I'm like, I kind of just felt like like it, it just kind of fell flat for me that that whole. The, the whole moral sort of statement yeah 
um, that never ended. About it, it, there was it, it's it's just kind of an it's kind of a self evident moral statement. The whole film, and it was yeah. like, I don't think this is anything that we need to reevaluate as a, as a country. I think we well know yeah. that these people were heavily exploited. Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I will say that um, what was what was most interesting to me about the movie was just the very weird like topsy turvy world that that they portrayed at the very beginning, where the Osage are like suddenly the richest people in the world like that that's just that's just a historically intriguing little moment uh seeing it unraveling is tragic and depressing and sad but but at the outset it's it's kind of interesting you know um and i'll also say the very end where it's like it's portrayed as this like radio play and it's all like wrapped up in that way i thought that was very like beautiful that was very like a, a very i mean i definitely nice liked touch, i definitely liked you know? that and i and i felt like it was um uh you know clever and, and and fun yeah. however the uh i almost almost makes me want to watch rewatch um that the asteroid city because i'm i was gonna say this movie is better than asteroid city and i think you know pound yeah. for pound it is i think it is too but, but asteroid city it was aesthetically a little more precise yeah and well and, and, it wasn't so sprawling for one thing it wasn't so sprawling it was it was a feat but it was it was measured and the other thing was the um, this film. It just kind of, I just kind of felt like lugubrious watching it. Like I, I really like, and thinking about all those different scenes that are sort of loosely connected, and 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 and, and it never really, it never really tied together in in, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a in a fuzzy feeling kind of way. I just didn't. I just can't. I can't recommend the film as much as I thought I would recommend it. I recommended it merely out of loyalty to Scorsese. Yeah, but like now I'm like you know that film really is kind of a slog, um, yeah. and if if I weren't watching it like on, I watched it like on opening day, yeah, if I, if I weren't watching it on any other occasion, I probably would be a, a lot less interested. Well, yeah, I mean I would also say that um, in terms of loyalty to the production design was awesome. Yeah, I mean yeah. best production design I've seen in a long time. Yeah, but then like the cinematography was a little like you know into itself. Yeah, and the uh, Rodrigo Prieto, and then. The music was supposed to be like really impressive because Robbie Robertson was his last work before he died, and he was like, you know, the guitarist for Bob Dylan, famously, and then he was also the lead guitarist for the band, and he lived in New York area where my cousin lives. He lived out by Socrates, I think. He was just around. He was out and about, um, mainstay of of you know pop music for so long. Yeah, this is the last film he worked on, and so you have all these reasons to watch, right? Yeah. It was basically, but I think the problem was that. This was based off a book. It was based off a, a book called Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Which was written in two, 2017, not even that long ago, six years. Yeah. And so for me, I'm like, I don't know. It just it felt like they had all these modern sort of co points of commentary yeah. overlaid on a historical event that's really kind of interesting by itself. Yeah. But it was sort of baked into this this gross cake of like oh well this is how we should think and this is how we should feel yeah. and here we're going to point out an example of that proves that proves this but at the same time there is the actual events that took place that were kind of not being showcased well yeah no i i know exactly what you mean and i i think there's this sort of tendency in recent movies where it's, it's just like you get this sense that people have they've genuinely lost connection with the past except in as much as they use it as like 
the soapbox to like Hector about whatever thing is in vogue at the moment kind of i mean i have a friend who's yeah. um who's part cherokee lives in oklahoma yeah he's a he's a a news he uh cameraman huh. and he um and he reports on like dead bodies all the time like because he's or whatever murders all the time yeah that's just, like his job is, is is doing the is like i don't know what you call it like forensic camera man or whatever and he does all that and then i was asking him about this film and he was like oh dude i've heard about that all week i'm so tired of hearing about it <laughs> so even he doesn't really give a shit and that's pretty funny and honestly the box office it didn't even break the, its budget you know it was 127 yeah point one million i guess according to the, the finance well uh, i mean it's it's weird because it's like it's it's almost like half a streaming like we're all kind of just waiting for it to appear on apple tv or at least that's the that's the excuse that, you know? yeah that's yeah, that's a tendency. I also am not crazy about the cast. I think they cast a lot of no-name actors yeah. where they shouldn't have. And then they cast well-known actors where it kind of it was kind of um too obvious, too expected. Yeah, no, I, I Jesse Clemens as the the detective, the FBI agent. Yeah, that was, was a little that was totally was, random. That was it was annoying. Like he's kind of like he's kind of this like ugly, cute he's like an ugly pretty boy type guy. And it's like, he doesn't need to be like in every little, you know, movie now. And then Lily Gladstone, it was cool that she, they, they, they oversold her because she was like a native American yeah. who's in this movie. Yeah. But they just oversold her and she, her acting like, wasn't really that like, yeah. Um, amazing. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I, and, I, and also she didn't really have that much opportunity to express it really. I don't think. Cause she's just so, uh, she was she was so domesticated the entire time, like yeah. kind of sedentary. Yeah, it, so she didn't really have a lot. Didn't have a yeah, exact taciturn is right. And then uh, John Lithgow, I'm tired of seeing him and stuff. And he was in the courtroom, and I'm like, I hate, I, hate, I just hate his mug at this point. <laughs> hate his mug. <laughs> That's hella funny. Um, I do think that Robert De Niro acting with Leonardo DiCaprio is my favorite part of this. Yeah, I think the way their dynamic was really fine tuned. Yeah, really expansive, and at the same time, it's like the only s movie I think they've done that. Like they've only been in this movie together. Yeah, that I can recall. This is the only one where they and they they, they were acting together in a lot of scenes because yeah. they had a very familial rapport that was not just familial, but it was quite understanding and cozy, and and it kind of it was kind of a little too cozy for what they were up to, which made me wonder about the screenwriting. Yeah. Um because the dialogue was a little too uh you know, too familiar for like the level of like the the, the fact that they were oblivious to their own um uh uh culpability made me wonder what the film was trying to suggest. Like, oh, are we is it, are they trying to say that like white people because of their privilege or like they don't know that they're evil, and so they just act all happy, happy, go lucky, yeah. and they're all very like cozy with each other. But it's because they're deep down like sinister, you know, um, manipulative, you know, hellspawn. Like what, what, <laughs> what was, what was the message there? And I, I kind of got it's it. Like, oh yeah, like you know, these guys act like they're doing the world of they're doing, they're great out, upstanding members of the community, but they're really like nefarious, and that's and that and they're masking. What, yeah. their, what, what their true intentions and, and actions are. Well, you could say it's like the banality of evil or something. 
know. Banality of evil, but also like the the jollity of evil. Like they were yeah. they were very content with their the the evil world they lived in yeah. that they created. Um, and uh, I don't know. I uh, I want to say the Native Americans probably needed more interesting roles. They kind of they kind of were just done done in as stereotypes, weren't they? Yeah, it was. Yeah, there there was none of them were interesting. None of them were distinctive, really. In any, I mean, there was a, there was the lady's sister. She was she was interesting. She was kind of charming. I liked her. Um, yeah, she was murdered. Yeah, well, but for a while she was, just kind of interesting. Uh, I like the mom. Yeah, and and those the sort sister of, was in like all, all of two. They were both all in the, like all of yeah. two scenes. Yeah, and I will say like the the sort of magical realism moments where the sort of myths came to life. I thought those were very that was very sort of touching and beautiful, and I kind of appreciate it because Scorsese is kind of like a hard boiled atheist sometimes in his movies. Like he will sure. not he will not allow the supernatural to converge on his like realistic crime movie, even though it's it's obviously there. In, in the I don't know if he's an atheist though. Well, no, but but he's he's like a he's like consciously an atheist when he makes his movies. Like he's not David Lynch. He's not going to have some weird thing happen. As far in my experience, like it's it's all very realistic, sort of. Um, so the fact that he had these like sort of moments where the veil is torn for a moment and people meet their ancestors, but it's done very like respectfully and very just very like simply. I, I found that was uh, I re- I really liked that. Those were those were some really good scenes. The owl and all that. I'm I'm reading up on on this course one of Scorsese's influences, which is this uh, Italian count named Lucino Visconti de Madrone, Lucino Visconti, who made movies called like Il Gatto Pardo and Senso. Like these are like films that influenced Scorsese and. I, I'm realizing how many of these foreign films and all these movies from the 40s yeah. that were American produced, they were like based on historical, uh, you know, well-known dramas for, of history. Hmm. And I'm like, this movie is kind of trying to be like those, yeah. which I think is awesome. But I just yeah. I'm not convinced that it's effective. Yeah, I think the name is a little got this sort of pseudo poetical quality that's you know, it's directly from the book. Yeah. But the book is, is, it was like, to me, it was not, you know, and it was barely something I would look at mm. uh, in a store. Like, a, you know, the cover isn't very exciting. The name, the authors, you know, none of, no, no, nothing about it was alluring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is what you want with a good book. And yeah. the story is, it just sort of feels like a fly by night kind of story. Yeah. Well, for is, the you, would you see this movie as a success or more of a misadventure? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like a misadventure, you know? Yeah, and, and for the same reasons that there's just, there's not an interesting enough through line and the characters don't, they either don't change or they don't stay the same in a way that's fascinating. So it's kind of, it just sort of fumbles those essential things and it has these beautiful moments in it, but. It's um, certainly a, a sort of pretentious, epic, overblown feature yeah. that will will not, jeopardize Scorsese's legacy and I think in a way he's kind of playing it safe like he's taking yeah. a known um, focal point in American history and he's just adding in as much detail as possible to a really 
uninteresting story in that focal point. Yeah. And he's sort of adding in as much like production value and detail and, and um, money into it, as much energy as possible. And then he just, you kind of get this big sort of blase semi flop that yeah. won't really mark him as better or worse for making it. It's just sort of something that people can occasionally point to as a curiosity. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really shift the status quo. Uh, it's just, it's kind of like it, I, I think. Yeah, it's he's kind of just trying to reel you in with this notion that having a long movie means that he's being very productive, which I'm not even convinced is true anymore. Yeah. Anyway, so on that note, speaking of long movies, this fucking podcast has gone on for what two hours? Yeah, two hours ten minutes. Okay, well, uh, send me the uh, the audio after this, and I can I finally upload it to um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Nice. I'm doing I'm doing all of that now. It's no longer just YouTube. You know, for a <laughs> while we we're just on YouTube in the dark. Yeah. And YouTube is like is a good place to listen to a podcast. I absolutely prefer it to all those other services, but for distribution, it is not valuable to just use YouTube. So yeah, we're stepping up in the world. Awesome. And um, closing out this autumnal festivity of a crime wave films, I think we should plan for the next. Uh, I mean, I saw some really next podcast. I saw some really good ones last six months or so. They're yeah. um, 80s, exclusively 80s crime films. Yeah. But I don't know if you're, you're up for that. Would you want to watch 80s crime films or do you want to watch something a little more. Um, spicy it is more. it is a bit more the same so yeah maybe, maybe something a little more uh broad or you know something from a different category would probably be better because you know I, I i haven't really watched that many movies certainly not uh in comparison to the movies you know you, you've watched way more than me i've so, seen a lot i've seen probably every neo-noir film you could name i've probably yeah. seen it yeah. and i probably i probably know it front to back because for whatever reason i just find that genre so riveting huh. um but i like you said I, it's more of the same for me too like i kind of wish i had a little more uh tools in the box so yeah let's, let's watch a uh, a different genre maybe we could do comedy maybe yeah. we could do romantic comedy ah. maybe we could do um you know maybe we could do like you know uh uh what do you call it not balderdash but uh Slapstick. Maybe we could do some slapstick from the forties, thirties, fifties. Oh, you know what? What about uh what about like City Lights? I know that's that's a little earlier than that, but that's supposed to be like a classic, you know? I don't know if you've ever seen it. Silent films. I'm I'm open to silent silent film uh podcast episodes. Yeah. I feel like that's a little um It's that's a, a little uh yeah. I don't know. Not long in the tooth. I mean, this, the podcast we're doing now is long in the tooth. Yeah. But I think that would kind of feel like it's a just, spillover it's, it's too of, of, of the, a spillover of, of of the amount of yeah, like you're saying, the, we're, we're, we're we've been delving into some obscure topics lately, and I think yeah. that's what's slowing it down. Right. And if we spill over into silent films, it'll even be more obscure. Yeah, still maybe more professional. Maybe maybe I mean maybe it has it has it has an advantage. I just think that in terms of production value and entertainment value yeah. for this podcast, the next episode should be something Some a lot more yeah, um, and broader and more popular. a lot more uh, bright. 
in its, right. in its well how about the bird cage that sort of fascinated me when you brought that up because it seems like such a weird movie and i i sort of want to watch it it's a comedy you know it's the opposite there's always something to be said for watching something that's the opposite of what you just watched you know Ooh, was that mike nichols did the bird cage i'm not sure uh i mean i really have no idea um it's, yeah it's mike nichols so let's see what if we can do a through line with uh with his other stuff in the 90s i, I would say why not hmm. however if we can't we might have to ixnay birdcage sure um all right well uh, i mean i got this i got this list um well we could we could talk about this off air as well if you'd like uh, well, we've got primary colors, birdcage, um, what else is Biloxi Blues? I don't know what these are. Catch-22, The Graduate. Yeah. The Catch-22, is it good? I mean, did it sell? No, barely. Um, I think we, just for the viewership's, uh, pleasure, we should establish what we're going to do next. Sure. Um, so not Mike Nichols. I don't want to do anything. Mike Nichols. It's a little too, it, it reminds me of like national lampoon. Like it's just a little too corny. Well, I was going to say, uh, anchorman and dodgeball. That's a, that's a duo that I have on this list, but, um, talk about, I mean, that's pretty broad. Zoo, yeah. Like Zoolander, anchorman, dodgeball. Yeah. Th that could be good. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of Ben Stiller, or like Will Ferrell, yeah. um, Vince Vaughn. Uh, yeah, I could, I could see us doing maybe, maybe like the, the, the one after this one. We could do those three films. Okay. Dodgeball, Anchorman, Zoolander. Zoolander they're, yeah. they're so uh, eclectic and and, and uh, vivid. Yeah, there's no, there, you know, a podcast on those three films could, there's couldn't go wrong, but. Yeah. I want one where it's um, the the story the stories are actually meaningful. Yeah, you want to sort of split the difference. Also, there's a Ben Stiller one called um, Heroes. The, what's it called? Uh, have you seen the Ben Stiller film where he's in the, he's like a hero? Like they're 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 like they're, they're really lame superheroes. No, I haven't. Uh, oh, it was before man, he I did. Think. Mystery Man, yeah, that one also, because that one's all kind of like Zoolander. Yeah. Um, and so you can do those four. Um, all right. And then, uh, what else? What else is there? Um, I'd be, I'm, I'm actually really down to rewatch Mystery Man. Uh, anyway, so that could be good. Uh, what did you say? Fuck. You said you watched the the sequel of Sounds of the Lambs. What was that like? Uh, it was it was it was all right, but it had that sort of sequel syndrome where it's just it's worse, but it's a good movie in its own right, kind of. Um, and it's kind of just smaller than the first movie. It's not didn't make as big of a splash in my mind, just because the first one was very kind of rarefied in what it was and very like I don't mind all the all the globe trotting or whatever. It was just very intense and the second one almost seems a bit cheesy and corny in comparison sort of lowers the tone um but i could rewatch. oh it. i got i got one that could be good i just watched i mean i was i was about to suggest we do all those yeah in the in the, in the you know in that series the trilogy yeah 
uh, what there's there was Red Dragon, Hannibal, Silence of the Lambs, Clarice, and Manhunter. Oh, so there's geez. like five films you could do. Pentology. I don't, I don't. I don't really want to see all those to be honest. So I'd do it, but yeah, not right now. Um, uh, how about a Dark Crystal and Labyrinth? That's a that's a weird combo. Those ones are 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 worth looking into. Also, Willow's kind uh, of interesting. Melancholy and Midsummer. Those are a bit more recent. Oh, Melancholia and Midsommar. Yeah. Those ones are not... They both sound a bit depressing, though. <laughs> they're not really, like... Let's do that. I don't mind well, that. No, I like that. Let's do that. Yeah, that's kind of a jump, because we're going from pop and pulpy to something a little bit more respectable and artistic and a bit more well-known. I think Midsommar is very, like... Have you seen both of those? No, I haven't seen either. Oh, watch... Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do those two. Great. Because I like both of them a lot. Um, and they're, they're different directors, so it will be it would be nice to trade notes on those the auteur theory there. And yeah. uh, I, I like the um, uh, all, Melancholia is quite is like ten years you know prior to yeah. to uh, Midsommar, but they're both oddly like Nordic, and they're and they're and they're both. Um, uh, like they're they're kind of like they're they're kind of movies that are about you know like uh, women who are like kind of losing their minds and then the world around them is like reflecting their inner you know chaos their own inner emotional chaos is reflected by the world's changing around them yeah so that's like the through line and th- that's why those fil- those two movies are perfect uh, pairing in terms of uh, their theme. But uh, yeah, so I I think uh, or the you know the many themes that they have within them, I think that's an excellent choice. Will okay, we'll right. we'll we'll plan for that. All right, well, uh, and I hope you like this uh, this you know October and slash November pick we did, um, the f- five or six films I guess you know to wrap up William Friedkin check out his works very good, Brian De Palma check out his works very good, Martin Scorsese of course, the legend himself very good. All those guys, um, if you like, if you like, you know, neo noir, neo crime, th- mystery thriller, they got some of the best that the money can find. So, hmm. you know, full speed ahead, and happy Halloween, happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you get uh, a little taste of eggnog later in the evening on me. <laughs> nice. All right. All right.